Fantastic. All right, well, thanks very much. Uh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Wednesday, May 26, 2021 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. My name is David Carter. I'm the chair of the commission. And um, before we continue, I'm going to turn this over to Becky Pepper, who's going to enlighten us on the rules of engagement for the meeting. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Becky Pepper, planning manager. Joining me here in the city commission room is Jeff Crick, planning and development services director, and Kyle Kobe, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. We will work alongside the chair who is on remote video to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Currently, we have everyone muted so that we can talk through the general ground rules for tonight's meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon, which is found in the lower left-hand corner of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon. This will make it easier for everyone to hear the meeting. Just remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. You can also turn your video on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on for the duration. If you're participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. Somewhere on the Zoom screen, you will also see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, while gallery view tiles all of the meeting participants. Commissioners, you must state your name and title each time you speak. Members of city staff must also state their name and title each time they speak. And we would also ask that applicants and members of the public identify themselves each time before they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. For Windows and Mac users, you can find this feature through the participants button on the bottom of your screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right corner of the screen. And for those calling in by phone, you can dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order in which they appear on the meeting host screen. And when you're called upon, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct you to the podium to speak while following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three minute time limit will apply. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner individually to provide their vote. Staff will then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. I want to again remind everyone to please mute yourself when you are not speaking, and now I'll turn the meeting over to the chair. Thank you, Becky. David Carter, chair. Um, I do just want to um, uh, notify the public this is the uh, last uh, meeting for a couple of our commissioners and I will take some time at the end of this meeting to recognize them and thank them for their service. Uh, but uh, in the interest of uh, everyone's time, everyone else's time, I'm going to go ahead with our regular agenda. Uh, so um, first I'd like to ask um, Jeff if we have any written communications from the public that's not already in our packet. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. All communications were included in your this evening. Fantastic, thank you. Um, how, uh, David Carter, Chair. Um, how about written communications from staff, uh, planning commissioners or other commissioners? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. We have none this evening. Okay, thank you. David Carter, Chair. How about um, written action of any waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer? 
Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Uh, we also have none of those this evening. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Um, how about uh, commissioners? Do you have any ex parte communications to report? Seeing none, any declarations of abstention from specific agenda items? Commissioner Sands. Rob Sands, Planning Commissioner. Uh, I'll be abstaining from item number one, rigged fabrication. Um, Mike's a, a very long-term friend, and uh, most recently, um, the last city commission race, he contributed to my campaign, so I'll be abstaining from that item. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Sands, David Carter, Chair. Um, and uh, this is the portion of our of the of the meeting. Oh, forgive me, uh, Commissioner Struckoff. Uh, Eric Struckoff, Planning Commissioner. I'll be abstaining from item C4 as my employer also has an interest in the Sunflower Bike Shop. Thank you, Commissioner Struckoff. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Any others? All right. Thank you. Um, so this is the portion of the meeting when we um, allow any members of the public to speak on items that are not already on the agenda. And um, if there's any members of the public uh, who would like to, to speak on anything that we're not already planning on talking about, please uh, make yourselves known through the uh, digital hand on Zoom. Or um, meanwhile, I'll ask Kyle, is there anybody in the commission chamber right now? Kyle Kobe with planning. There is no one here in the room to speak at this time. And so far, I'm not seeing any digital hands going up. Thank you, um, Kyle. Um, in that case, let's move on to our regular agenda. We've got item number one, consider approving a special use permit for a change of use to makerspace intensive at 912 North 3rd Street. And I believe Catherine's gonna speak on this. Yes, good evening, commissioners. Catherine, meet planning staff. And I'm here to present the item for consideration for the special use permit located at 912 North 3rd Street. This is for rigs fabrication. The change of use for the special use permit um, is, it, it was previously equipment repair light and it is proposed change of use to makerspace intensive the makerspace intensive use requires a special, an approved special use permit in the CS zoning district. So associated with this special use permit, there are no planned improvements to the site or the building. The new occupants and business would be uh, running their operation or their fabrication um, shop in the existing footprint of the building that is already on site. Uh, the, Riggs Fabrication is a low-impact, one-off art fabrication slash art studio um, with occasional collaboration with other artists, makers, and uh, craftsmen. Uh, they use a combination of materials and tools, um, CNC, CAD tools, metals, woods, um, but it is a low-impact uh, use that would be um, going into the site. So in staff's review of the criteria for special use permits, uh, we look for whether or not it complies with the development code, uh, whether or not it's compatible with the adjacent uses in the area. This uh, site change or use change um, was reviewed under the minor site plan um, associated with the special use permit because there are no changes to the site. The compat it is staff views that it is compatible with the area. Adjacent uses are heavy and light equipment repair along the North 2nd Street corridor. And there's a gas station, um, which also has high traffic turnover um, at the site. So the use is compatible with similar uh, businesses in the area. 
and this use um, as described by the applicant um, is lower intensity than the adjacent uses in the area. And we also looked at whether there is existing infrastructure to serve the new use or change of use. In this case, since there are no changes um, and no modifications to the building, infrastructure, public safety is um, already adequate to serve the use on the site. And so um, this, this site is also in, I should mention the regulatory floodplain. However, because there are no changes to use or, or to the site with this use, um, it will not impact the regulatory floodplain. If, for instance, there were some changes in the future, for instance, they need to do a building expansion or have exterior storage associated with uh, the makerspace, they would need to get an associated floodplain development permit for that type of development. But at this time, there are no changes planned. It's just a change of use. Um, it also does not require platting. A portion of the property is not platted, but it does not require platting at this time because there is no development activity. It's just a change of use. Again, if there is an addition or a building permit um, for some type of development activity on the site, then at that time, this, this site would also need to be platted. So upon staff's review, it did find that it met all of the criteria uh, for review for special use permits and that it complied with all aspects of the land development code. Staff is putting forward a recommendation for approval and would uh, recommend that any commission forward a recommendation of approval onto uh, the city commission. I would be happy to stand for any questions if, if there are any. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, David Carter, Chair. And I believe uh, Mr. Riggs is here. Would you care to uh, say anything in addition to uh, what uh, Catherine has presented? Uh, Mike Riggs, um, I, I think she covered it very well. I, I think that's, that sums up. It's just a very small business, just trying to find a spot to, to fit in here in Lawrence. So I appreciate it. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Riggs. David Carter, Chair. Um, with that, I'll open up to any public comment. If there are any members of the public who wish to speak on this, please uh, raise your digital hand on Zoom or your physical hand in the commission chamber. Uh, and Kyle, could you let me know if you see any such reaction from any members of the public? I'll be with planning. There's nobody in the room to speak on this item. And so far, I'm not seeing any hands going up in Zoom either. Good. Thank you, David Carter Chair. With that, I will turn it back over to the, um, to the commission for any questions to uh, Catherine or to the applicant or to the rest of staff. I guess um, I just have a general question for Mr. Riggs. Could, um, could you just elaborate a little bit on um, uh, what kind of members of the public you're, you're, you're planning on serving through this, uh, through this business? Um, so, it's not going to be like a tradition. Sorry, Mike Riggs. It's not going to be like a traditional makerspace. I'm not offering people to come in and use my tools. Um, the, the reason why we went with the makerspace intensive was because my collaboration with other artists and craftsmen uh, in the area in Kansas City. And then I also do uh, like team up with the Boys and Girls Club to teach them. You know, I taught them welding and woodworking and, and stuff previously in CNC work. So that's why we went with that, that zoning. Very good. Thank you. David Carter, Chair. Uh, any other questions from uh, commissioners? Uh, 
any um, any other observations, feedback, uh, or possibly motions from commissioners. Commissioner Strokoff. Planning Commissioner Eric Strokoff. Um, I like this idea in this location. Uh, I'm in support of it, um, and I'm willing to make a motion uh, pending further deliber deliberation. All right. Thank you, Commissioner Strokoff. If there are no other comments from commissioners, then uh, please uh, feel free to do so. Uh, I move that. Uh, for, sorry. Sorry, Commissioner Strokoff. It looks like uh, Commissioner Shanklin would like to oh, ask a question. Excuse me. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I'd just like to make a quick comment. It relates a little bit to what Commissioner Strzokoff just said. Um, I could. I, I think we don't do enough to support the creative arts in Lawrence, and so anything we can do to foster the development of talent and the showcasing of that talent um, is something that we ought to do as a planning practice, uh, as well as planning policy. Uh, so I, I support this in almost any location. So I uh, just wanted to get my two cents in. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. David Carter, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Strzokoff, please continue with your motion. Uh, uh, thanks for the comments, Commissioner Shanklin. I definitely share them. Uh, I move that we recommend approval of the special use permit for a makerspace intensive at 912 North 3rd Street and forward that recommendation to the city commission with recommendation for approval. Thank you, Commissioner Struckoff. Do we have a second? Commissioner Ashworth, thank you. Um, any further discussion? All right. Uh, Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Certainly. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Struckoff? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Mr. Riggs. Um, that takes us to item number two. Forgive me, David Carter, Chair. Um, consider approving a special use permit for an expansion of a non-conforming duplex use uh, of the, uh, let's see, located, uh, excuse me, Non-conforming duplex use of the Lawrence Land Development Code, uh, located at 1306 New Hampshire Street, and I believe Luke will be speaking on this. Good evening, Commissioner. Oh. As Chair Carter just noted, Kyle, can forgive me. Is it Luke? We uh, we lost your audio. It, it's not showing you as muted, but um, we lost it for a second there. Lawrence and Planner, can you hear me now? Yes. You know, you try to do something different and it blows back up in your face. So <clears throat> let me let me start over. All right. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Luke Morrison and Planner. Um, as Chair Carter just noted, item number two tonight is a request to consider approving a special use permit for the expansion of an existing non-conforming duplex use located at 1306 New Hampshire Street. This property is an existing legally established non-conforming duplex use. 
Planning Staff Administratively Approved NCR-20-00135 in June of 2020. This legally non-conforming use registration notes that the existing duplex use was established at a time in which the zoning permitted that use and that that duplex use has been in continuous operation since that time. The applicant has submitted a building permit for the physical expansion of and improvements to the existing structure. Section 20-1502 of the Land Development Code notes that expansions that are necessary and incidental to the existing non-conforming use may be approved by the City Commission if reviewed and approved in accordance with the special use procedures of Section 20-1306. Of course, your recommendation as the Planning Commission is the first step towards a final determination by the City Commission. You'll see in my staff report that the applicant submitted a code compliant site plan that graphically shows the proposed improvements to the existing structure. Generally, they include an exterior staircase improvements uh, and in addition to the existing dwelling units. The existing duplex use has two dwelling units, each with two bedrooms. Uh, this will not change. Additionally, the applicant proposes to install an additional rear parking pad um, accessed off of the alley uh, to bring the duplex uses parking into compliance. The code requires one off-street space per bedroom for the duplex use. Um, there are four bedrooms uh, now and proposed, uh, and there will be proposed four off-street parking spaces. The applicant has submitted materials to our Historic Resources Administrator. The Historic Resources Commission recommended approval of this proposed special use permit at their April 2021 meeting. To conclude, staff recommends approval of this proposed special use permit to expand the existing legally established non-conforming duplex use located at 1306 New Hampshire Street. The applicant has submitted a site plan and materials that satisfy the standards for when and how non-conforming uses may be expanded as outlined in section 20-1502 of the code, as well as code compliant site plan and special use permit submissions that satisfy those standards outlined in article 13. Just one final note, um, uh, the planning commission's recommendation tonight uh, will not determine whether this existing use may continue to operate. It's just determining if the proposed um, expansion may occur. Um, the applicant, uh, Patrick Watkins, is with us tonight, and as always, I can stand for questions. Thank you, Luke. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Um, uh, Mr. Watkins, would you like to add anything to uh, Luke's comments? Yeah, sure. Um, this is Patrick Watkins. Thank you, Commissioner Carter, and, and thank you, Luke, for uh, the work and the support. Um, this is an exciting project for, for my family. Uh, my wife, Kirsten, and I uh, took the risk on, on this house and we're trying to do the right thing in a lot of ways. Um, it's a full remodel of a house that's in uh, bad need of a complete rehab. It's a contributing property to the South Rhode Island Historic District, uh, which is a charming little part of East Lawrence. Um, and, and I think the house is probably the most deteriorated house within the district. Um, so it's a preservation project. Uh, it'll comply with the full scale and full range of preservation requirements. Uh, you won't find a more local project than this. Um, Kirsten and I, my family lives a couple blocks down. Um, the architect, Mike Myers, lives two doors down from this house. The builder is Kyle Wyland, who lives across the street. Um, everybody's walking to this project, which is sort of unique. Uh, but our goal is to bring this house into conformance with the level and finishes within the rest of the district. Um, and the special use is, is something that I didn't realize would, would be required, but 
there's a bedroom that's cantilevered over the back side of the property. We're going to fill in uh, the space underneath that bedroom with a room. Uh, we need 66 square feet, and that's it. Uh, it's, it's a very modest size, size expansion, in my opinion. Uh, really very small. It's not enough for a room, uh, but the expansion is technically enlarging the footprint of the building, and, and so we do need the special use. Uh, so uh, if there's any questions, I'd be happy to, to answer uh, or respond to any questions, and um, pleased to have your all time and, uh, and your consideration tonight. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Um, do we have any members of the public who would like to speak on this item? If so, please make yourself known to Kyle, either digitally on Zoom or by your physical hand in the chamber. And Kyle, can you please tell me if there you're getting any um, any hands? Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, there's nobody in the room to speak on this item. And as of now, I don't see any digital hands going up either. All right, thank you, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. I'm going to turn it over to the Commission then. Um, any questions for um, the applicant or for staff? I guess I have a question for staff. Um, and that is how common is this sort of situation that a, a minor modification to a property, you know, and ends up requiring a special use permit? And um, you know, is it something that might be considered for a text amendment if it's, uh, you know, if it's, um, you know, a, a, a particular burden on the on the property owner to improve their property? Luke yeah. Morrison, Planning and Development Services staff. I'll begin and maybe throw it to Jeff uh, for that second half. Uh, in my experience uh, of projects that have come across my desk, um, it's is a little bit more unusual um, just based off of the discussion that we had on this item when it came through a number of months ago of what the right process was i think the rest of staff would probably admit it's a little bit unusual um, but it is what the what article 15 our, our section on nonconformities. Um, that's the route for this type of um, situation so that's where we ultimately landed as far as um a future text amendment or how the code may address this in the future. I'll, I'll, I'll ask Jeff to comment on that one. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Director, um, I would agree with Luke on that one. You tend to see these more in relation to commercial properties. I can't think of a, a residential one in recent memory that would have gone this route. It's a, it's a rare occurrence in many ways. And because of that, uh, it's something we've identified as looking at as part of a, a potential code update is because it is, it's a rarity and it does have some of those um, it does put a, a quite a process on something when there might not be a full process is necessary. So it's something we've identified as, as looking into seeing what amendment might be there and what that might take a form of. But uh, in all honesty, there, it's even it's rare even in commercial property. So it's not a it's not an everyday special use permit that we tend to see. Very good. Thank you, uh, Jeff and Luke, David Cutter, Chair. Other questions from uh, from commissioners. Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I have a question to staff that the actual non-conforming use is the fact that it's a duplex. Is that correct? Luke Mortensen, Planning and Development Services staff. Yes, the the surrounding zoning is um, 
single as a single family district uh the land uses are duplex use um, duplex isn't permitted in that zoning district but based off of that non-conforming use registration um, that's noted in the staff report um, it's a, a, a legally established non-conforming use it was created at a time when the surrounding zoning <coughs> did permit it jim carpenter planning commissioner and this is something that couldn't have been corrected at the time that we did the East Lawrence zone to use amendment. Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services staff. Uh, I did a little bit of research on the zoning history as part of this, and, and it was noted during the East Lawrence down zoning process as far as as a as a um, parcel that would become non-conforming um, that's about the extent um, that I was able to determine in the research related to this this application Jim Carpenter Planning Commissioner um, the request tonight is simply you need a special use permit because of the non-conforming use ordinances but if this structure, even if this is approved and they do the renovations and fill in this space, if more than a certain percentage of this property is destroyed in a fire, say we lose, they can't be rebuilt. Is that where we are with this one? Luke Mortensen, PDS staff. Yes, in Article 15, there's a number of uh, a number of things that could happen that would uh, remove your non-conforming status. And Jim Carpenter Planning Commission, including not renewing the registration of your property as a non-conforming use. Uh, Luke Morrison, PDS staff. Off the top of my head, I can't remember if we have a time limit and if it needs to be re-upped. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. But once you have that first, um, you know, staff-approved NCR registration, I think you're, I think you're good. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Luke is correct. There is no time limit to the non-conforming use registration. There are instances in when the owner, you know, makes an intent to discontinue the use that may cause the loss of the non-conformity, but the registration itself is is indefinite as long as the structure is maintained in that in that non-conformity. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. Thanks for that clarification, Jeff, because what was really in my head is when you um, discontinued use of a subject property in the form it was being used in that non-conforming use category, you only have a certain amount of time you can do that. And one of the ways to preserve the non-conforming use is to come back in and assert and re-register re it, I believe. Is that correct? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Uh, yeah, you do have to show an intent to reestablish the use, not necessarily re-register the non-conformity, but to show intent that the use is going to be maintained as it is, was allowed as that non-conformity. Okay. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. So, you know, I, I appreciate the risk that Mr. Watkins is taking. I'm certainly glad that he's preserving this property and, you know, putting filling in the space under a cantilevered bedroom on an old house that's been allowed to go down, I think is incredibly wise to do. So I have no problem with the special use permit. I'm just concerned that since this is now also gonna be considered at least a historic property because of the way it's going through, 
that it maintains this non-conforming use status. That means if certain events could mean it couldn't be rebuilt. So I think I'm not sure what to do about the conflict between the non-conforming use and the historic structures. And that's kind of what I'm bringing up here. So I don't know if anyone has a response or an answer about where we might go with that. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. David Carter, Chair. I'd just like to clarify, uh, under those circumstances, it couldn't be rebuilt as a non-conforming property, right? It could be rebuilt in a conforming uh, role. Okay, thanks. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, Commissioner Carpenter, I, I think raises an important concern um, that I'd at least like to touch on for a moment here. Often mortgage lenders won't lend to a non-conforming use. So I, I suppose my first question is of Mr. Watkins. Has uh, he had encountered any difficulty at all in financing his project? Um, secondly, uh, if he's at all concerned about uh, resale to someone who wants to finance the acquisition, um, it, it, is there something we can do to preserve that non-conforming use for him to make the property more financeable? Patrick Watkins, um, you know, uh, with regard to the financing, I've, I've been lucky to um, to have a, a lender that's been willing to work with me on issues like this. The, the issue up to this point, frankly, has been insuring it. Um, and uh, it's in such bad condition and the systems are so old that it absolutely has to go through a, a renovation, a full-scale renovation. We'll, we'll be redoing every system in the house, which I'm excited about. Uh, with regard to preserving the non-conforming use, I, I certainly understand the risk of investment um, and, and the possibility of a substantial loss. But frankly, um, if this house has survived 70 years as a non-conforming use in its current condition, um, you know, I, I, it's sort of a risk I'm willing to take. I think that, that at some level, it's, it's remarkable that it's still there. Um, I think everybody on the block uh, believes that their insurance premiums should go down if this house gets remodeled. Um, but uh, to your point, I'm, I'm not aware of any sort of mechanism for the planning commission to help resolve that particular aspect. I'm not uh, specifically overly concerned with it. I think um, if something were to happen and, and, and I desired to um, have some sort of special approval, um, you know, I'd, I'd continue to seek the staff support for that sort of thing and, and then come back for it. But um, I, don't, I don't know the mechanism for getting it now. Um, thank you for your concern, though. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Commissioner Shanklin, do you have any follow-up questions or observations? Very good. Um, in that case, any other questions or feedback from other commissioners? Luke Morrison, planning staff. I would like to jump in real quick and just, um, uh, Commissioner Carpenter had met, had asked about that uh, percentage that would trigger, you know, a not the ability not to be able to re uh, return to that non-conforming use. In section 20-1502C of our land development code, it lists all of those um, items that would cause a loss of non-conforming status. And then specifically um, in subsection two, 60% of fair market value, if something is damaged um, to that amount, um, that's, what our, that's what our code has identified. 
Thank you, Luke. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, any, any follow-ups on that? Yes, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. <clears throat> I'm only raising this point because if this is making use of um, the historic tax credit and can at least possibly end up on the warrants list of historic properties, we have more than one property that fits in the category of historic properties that could, we may not be able to salvage or rebuild if we have a fire or some other problem. I think that given the, the special status of some of these properties, it might be worth considering some way to um, remove a non-conforming use if they're on those lists, or we can say, yes, you can build it back to what it was, yeah, that made it historic. But of course, maybe it's not historic anymore if it's 40% new material, I don't know. But <clears throat> it's just a, some concern to me, especially through East Lawrence and the, and the Oriad neighborhood, we have so many properties that are listed. And I don't know if every one of those is in complete conformance with where it's supposed to be. So it could be a recurring issue, although rare, it could happen more than once. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. David Carter Chair, did you care for a response or uh, any, any feedback from staff? No, it's just putting a bug in people's ear to think about this is a potential issue. Certainly. Thank you. David Carter, Chair, other questions or feedback from uh, other commissioners? Or at this point, would anybody be prepared to make a motion? Commissioner uh, Sinclair. Luke Sinclair, Planning Commissioner. I agree with all the comments that have been made. I think it seems like a good project. I think it fits with uh, pretty easily into the review criteria. And I appreciate the HRC already approving it. So I'd, I'd be happy to make a motion if you'll take it, Mr. Chair. Yes, please. Um, I move uh, that we approve the special use permit uh, SUP 2100082 to permit the expansion expansion of, a, of an existing legally established non-conforming duplex use located at 1306 New Hampshire Street. Thank you, Commissioner Sinclair. David Carter, Chair, do I have a second? Commissioner Payton, thank you. Um, any further discussion? All right, Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner yeah. Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Sands? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Struckoff? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Mr. Watkins. Uh, that takes us to item three on our agenda. Uh, Sorry. It's my last meeting as chair, and I still forget to uh, introduce myself. David Carter, chair. Uh, consider approving a special use permit for event center, small use for the KU Alumni Association, located at 1266 Oriad Avenue. And Kyle, I believe you're presenting on this item. That is correct. Thank you very much. Um, Kyle Kobe with planning. 
This item is before you tonight because Event Center Small requires special use permit approval in the CN2 zoning district. The project also proposes the addition of an administrative and professional office use at the same location. The office use does not require SUP approval, but does require site plan approval, um, and site plans are reviewed administratively. Um, since both uses are proposed in conjunction, the staff report contains information and analysis for both uses. The property is currently the site of the Adams Alumni Center, which will remain. Similar to the proposed addition, the existing use of the property contains both an event center small use as well as an administrative and professional office use. These uses do not require approval at this time as they are permitted via UPR 5481. Information for these uses is provided in the plans and staff report to provide the full context for the property. So just to recap briefly, the existing uses on the property do not require planning commission recommendation or city commission approval. The proposed office use does not require planning commission recommendation or city commission approval, but the proposed event center small use does require planning commission review and city commission approval. So a few associated cases related to this application. Um, last year, the property was rezoned from RM32 multi-dwelling residential district to CN2 neighborhood commercial district, approved by the city commission on July 28th of last year. A minor subdivision application has been received and is currently under review. Um, the property is currently platted as nine separate lots and that minor subdivision proposes consolidating all of those into one contiguous lot. Um, the project uh, was reviewed by the Historic Resources Commission as a Certificate of Appropriateness Review. The design review case pertained to elements such as architectural features, design, and materials, and it was approved by the Historic Resources Commission on April 15th. Just briefly, I wanted to note that uh, while the proposed use is functionally a part of the KU campus, the property is not subject to the KU City Land Use Agreement. So in simplest terms, what that means is that the property is required to meet city code in the same way that any other property um, not zoned at UKU would be. The physical changes, uh, the proposed physical changes to the property include the building addition off the north side of the existing structure, roughly equivalent in size to the existing structure, vehicle drive aisle along the north and east edge of the property, parking for the property will be provided in the Mississippi Street parking garage located uh, on the other side of Oriad Avenue, and that'll be facilitated through a shared parking agreement and then uh, a plaza on the west side of the property uh, providing pedestrian access and landscaping. As noted in the staff report, there are modifications to several standards requested with this application. The proposed additional use, uses require 45 short-term bicycle parking spaces per code. The applicant requests this requirement be reduced to 24 spaces. The street tree requirements state that street trees must reach a mature height of at least 45 feet the applicant requests this requirement be reduced to 20 feet for the trees provided along the Oriad Avenue frontage. Landscaping standards applied to the Louisiana Street frontage require seven street trees as well as perimeter parking lot landscaping, which would require landscape area um, and uh, screening, uh, landscape area to screen the vehicle parking area. The applicant requests that the street tree requirement be reduced to zero and that the perimeter parking Perimeter landscaping requirements be met with a three and a half foot opaque fence. The code requires that a type one buffer yard be provided on the north and east sides of the property. And the applicant is requesting that uh, both of those buffer yards not be required. The applicant has provided letters which are included in your packet stating the reasons for these requests and there's additional detail and discussion provided in the body of the staff report as well. 
The landscaping buffer yard requests are tied to um, the existing conditions of the property. The Louisiana street frontage is characterized by a notable differential in grade between the subject property and the street and sidewalk surface. Uh, this area is the location of existing retaining walls and utilities, including overhead power lines. The property to the north is zoned GPI, General Public and Institutional Use District, and is the site of two large water tanks. Access to this property is provided through the subject property via an access easement, which the plans propose uh, to retain. The proposed KU Welcome Center use is one that is likely to generate um, trips from farther away than one would typically expect to be traveled by bicycle. Um, additional bicycle parking spaces are also available nearby as well. So with all that in conclusion, um, staff is recommending that the Planning Commission approve the special use permit application subject to the conditions and modifications indicated in the staff report and forward said recommendation for approval to the City Commission. And with that, that concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions, and I see that the applicant is here as well. Thank you, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. And I believe, I see um, uh, Mr. Fox and Mr. Peterson are both here. Uh, would either or both of you care to um, amend uh, Kyle's presentation? Sure. Uh, this is Evan Fox, Helix Architecture and Design, um, the project architect for the project. Um, I think Kyle did a great job of laying out um, the entire project and, and what we're proposing. Um, and I'll defer to Heath as the, um, the project owner um, to, to talk about the project and um, what they're looking for. Hi, Heath Peterson, president of the KU Alumni Association. Uh, thank you for your work on uh, this project uh, and considering this uh, proposal this evening. You know, this project uh, has been really five years in the making. Um, it's been a partnership between the KU Alumni Association, our National Board of Directors, uh, the KU Endowment Association with the support of the Board of Trustees and the Chancellor of the University of Kansas. Uh, and is really designed to reposition the first impression uh, for the university, acknowledging that higher education is facing significant headwinds as it relates to enrollment pressures uh, for a multitude of factors, most notably uh, declining uh, birth rates, which are expected uh, to continue over the next decade, uh, creating an environment that is incredibly competitive. Uh, and so we must do everything we can as an institution to put our best foot forward to showcase what it means to be a Jayhawk, um, showcasing the ROI on a KU degree, making sure that the welcome on our campus is first class um, and do every, everything we can to preserve a, a healthy enrollment, which will not only impact uh, the entire institution, but it'll have a positive impact on the, on the Lawrence community. Uh, it's more than just a prospective uh, student uh, venue. We're going to be engaging current students and, and helping them make career connections, building their networks as they're getting their, their education, and certainly a, a space where we welcome alumni back uh, to the Hill from near and far. So thank you for the time. All right. Thank you, Mr. Peterson, David Carter Chair. Um, are if there are any members of the public who would like to speak on this item uh, as before please make yourself known through a digital hand on zoom or a physical hand in the commission chamber and i'll call on kyle to confirm whether there's anyone signaling they'd like to speak kyle kobe with planning there's nobody in the room to speak on this item and at this time there's no digital hands going up either all right thank you kyle david carter chair with that i'll turn it back over to the commission for questions of the applicant or city staff.
Um, I guess I'll uh, pose a simple question to Mr. Peterson about the intended event center function. Can you talk a little bit about um, what you would expect the, the typical hours of events to be? Hi, Heath Peterson. It's a great question. Uh, right now, our current facility, uh, it's, it's very much seasonal. Um, we're closed on Sundays, but, but really the demand for activity drives, drives the schedule. Um, the expansion of this project is really focused on the prospective student visits, which occur twice daily, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at 10 a.m. in the morning and 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, we will use the event space occasionally, nights and weekends, to host some of our signature programs, uh, often focused on students and alumni. Um, and so um, peak demand times would, of course, be fall uh, cave football season, uh, the occasional pregame basketball events, larger campus visit days. Uh, an example would be junior days, uh, programs that uh, are um, executed by our partners in the Office of Admissions. Very good. Thank you, uh, David Carter Chair. Other questions from commissioners? Commissioner Payton. Yeah, this is Commissioner Payton. Um, Heath, I have a question about, you just mentioned some of these events will include uh, student events during the day. Did I understand that correctly? Heath Peterson, yes. So if there's student events during the day, uh, to me that would indicate that you may, it may actually be useful to have more bicycle parking. Um, and, and that's the one uh, sort of thing I've seen here that I would really like to it not have cut, um, or at least not cut as much as it, as it is. I understand that um, there's lots of bike parking on campus, but bike parking, bike bicycling is often a door-to-door -door kind of function. Um, and you'd mentioned pedestrian and transit improvements, it sounds like also will be included in this from the staff report. Is that correct? Yeah, this is Evan Fox with Helix. Um, yeah, I think everything you, you identified is accurate. Um, okay. the, the bicycle parking that we've identified is um, basically the, the minimum for the, the actual project site. There's about 60 to 65 spots within 150 feet across the street at the Union, um, which okay. we've identified to um, hopefully reduce the amount we have to provide on site so that the um, alumni association can have some more space for their event space um, on the exterior. Okay, one last question. It says existing bicycle parking is 35 spaces. So am I, am I getting this right that um, additional parking, you would have to, in, you would have to increase addition, additional parking 10 spaces. So it'd be 45 spaces from 35 or is there a, an additional 45 needed. I believe there is 65 spaces at the union. Um, and we're providing the, the code, um, the code requirement on our site. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, uh, David Carter chair. Other questions from commissioners? Uh, forgive me, Commissioner Struckoff. A uh, question, just a comment and observation. Uh, I am um, 
delighted to see a building proposed on campus uh, that does not include more parking. Uh, it's a good idea to share with the um, Mississippi Street Garage across the street. It's a model for future development on campus. Thank you, Commissioner Struckoff. David Carter, Chair. I'll just, oh, forgive me, uh, uh, Commissioner Sands. Rob Sands, Commissioner, Planning Commissioner. Um, a question for staff. Um, and maybe I missed this, but uh, can you explain the the condition number three? Um, there's a requirement for the height of trees on Oriad. Kyle Covey with planning. That requirement comes from the the default street tree requirement. Um, in the code, it's got a um, a minimum mature tree height that it prescribes for trees that are being provided uh, to satisfy the street tree requirement. So um, the reason for that particular request is that the trees that they are seeking to provide will not reach that height. Um, they would, the the heights are, are varied and they're noted in the staff report, but um, the, the shortest of them would grow to 20 feet, um, which is what necessitates the that request. So it's not specific to this property. That's just a, a sort of a default standard for street trees in general. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Kyle. Uh, David Carter, Chair, other questions from commissioners? I would just say, I mean, when this item came before us a year ago, um, I expressed my appreciation in consolidating the, the welcome and alumni uh, functions. Uh, I think it's kind of an alpha omega relationship. Um, I, uh, I have no um, further questions or, or um, reservations about any of the items uh, presented here, uh, unless uh, other commissioners have other questions or concerns, I would entertain a motion. Commissioner Sands. Rob Sands, Planning Commissioner. I'd like to make a motion to recommend approval of the Event Center Small Use located at 1266 Oriad Avenue and forward that request to the City Commission with recommendation of approval subject to the following conditions and modifications listed in the body of the staff report. Thank you, Commissioner Sands. David Carter, Chair, do I have a second? Commissioner Sinclair, thank you. Uh, any further discussion? All right, Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Certainly. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Sands? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Struckoff? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. Um, and uh, that brings us to item uh, number four. Consider approving a text amendment to the City of Lawrence Land Development Code pertaining to the regulation of alcohol sales and associated uses. And uh, I believe Kyle's presenting on this one as well. Correct. Thank you very much. Kyle, with planning once again. Um, on May 19th, 2020, the City Commission adopted Resolution 7323. That resolution, which is included in your packet, 
adopted on a temporary basis the changes that are before you tonight. The resolution cites both the coronavirus pandemic as well as challenges posed to businesses by internet sales and regional competition as reasons for its adoption. The resolution is set to expire on June 30th of this year. The text amendment before you proposes the formal adoption of these temporary changes. There's two main components to the proposed text amendment. The first has to do with alcohol sales regulations downtown and the other pertains to accessory bar and accessory restaurant uses more broadly. Currently, the Land Development Code requires that any business located in the CD downtown district which sells alcohol to derive no less than 55% of its total sales from food. The proposed change would flip that requirement to instead require that any business who sells alcohol to derive no more than 45% of its total sales from alcohol. In simplest terms, this change would preserve the intent of the standard, which is to not permit new establishments that predominantly feature alcohol sales, while allowing for sales other than food to offset the sale of alcohol. The other components propose amending the Land Development Code to permit accessory restaurants in additional commercial zoning districts, amending the definition of accessory restaurants to clarify that alcohol sales are not permitted at school ca cafeterias and similar uses, and amending the definition of accessory bar to allow them to operate in conjunction with additional uses beyond restaurants, which they are currently exclusively restricted to in the definition. The intent of the proposed changes is to provide additional options and flexibility for businesses in Lawrence. The changes were initially proposed in part as a response to the COVID pandemic to allow businesses additional potential sources of revenue. The other broader intent is to address changes in the commercial and especially retail landscape. Regional competition and internet sales present a challenge to businesses, particularly small locally owned businesses. The idea is that allowing these types of sales in more places, it helps businesses not only in terms of potential additional sources of revenue, but also to provide a more dynamic experience for its customers. Um, that is the conclusion of my presentation. Um, the applicant is here with us tonight as well. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have going forward. Thank you very much, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. Uh, I see Mr. Hughes is here. Uh, would you care to uh, say anything to add to uh, uh, Kyle's presentation? Absolutely. Uh, Dan Hughes with Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop uh, here. Uh, I think Kyle summed it up uh, pretty succinctly there. Um, my perspective as a retailer in the downtown footprint for the last 30 plus years and at the helm of a 50 year old business is that uh, retail is challenging at the moment and we need to provide experiences and sell experiences that aren't available online. So the idea of having a launching and landing pad for outdoor adventure uh, at Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop probably incorporates uh, some coffee and some food on the front end and maybe a beer on the back end. Um, and so when we launched into this idea of adding that component to our, our business, uh, we were fairly certain that uh, the 55, 45% requirement, which we are fully in favor of, we don't want downtown Lawrence to be overrun with nothing but bars. Uh, when we were told that uh, it's got to be 45%, uh, all of our retail sales basically had to be lumped in with the food. And that's just not happening or lumped in with the alcohol. I'm sorry, we can't sell 55% food to 45% bikes and boats and beers 
and uh, boots. So I guess what we're asking for is uh, not to have our retail sales held against us and to provide a hybrid model of uh, this experience that uh, people in the, uh, the wider world want to have, which is um, the third place of finding a place where they can uh, call their own. So that's my two cents. Thank you, Mr. Hughes, uh, David Carter Chair. Um, in case there are members of the public who would like to speak on this, as before, just ask you to raise your digital hand on Zoom or your physical hand in the commission chamber. Forgive the repetition, but I'm going to ask uh, Kyle to confirm if there is anyone making themselves known. Kyle Kilby with Planning, I can confirm that there's nobody in the room to speak on this item. And I can also confirm that there's nobody raising their digital hands in the Zoom meeting either. Thank you, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. With that, I'll ask the commissioners if they have questions for uh, Mr. Hughes or for staff. Uh, Commissioner Sands. Rob Sands, Planning Commissioner. Uh, just a general question out of curiosity for the applicant. Um, I, I know you're, you're well plugged in with other businesses downtown, especially in retail. Um, do you see this being a model that will be adopted to a greater degree downtown? Uh, Dan Hughes, Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop. Um, I don't, I don't see it being adopted um, because of the the requirements of the alcohol license and all the um, stuff that the state requires. I don't see a ton of other retailers offering um, this option, but there are examples from around the country where uh, bike shops or other retailers offer the ability to sell a beer at the end of the ride, you know, or the end of the trail run. So will uh, a barber shop give you a haircut and a beer? I don't know that that they'll go down the path of getting the licensing, getting the insurance, getting all the things that are required to sell it from, from that perspective, uh, if it doesn't make fiscal sense. But it it is another tool in the toolbox of selling an experience that is not available online. And I can say that um, in the pandemic, the uh, the option to buy your stuff online was ramped up a hundredfold. And so I, I personally don't want to see downtown Lawrence become uh, an, an institution or a place where beer is sold on every corner, but we need to have every tool in the toolbox available. Thank you, Mr. Hughes. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Commissioner Sands, do you have any follow-up questions? Okay, thank you. Um, any questions from other commissioners? Um, I guess I, I, I am very sympathetic to the uh, maintaining the overall health of downtown as an experience. It's one of the most visited places uh, in Kansas. And um, uh, in general, I think this seems like a, a great idea. I am wary of um, 
you know, global changes and global, I mean, to a, to an entire class of institutions. Um, it, but it does seem to me that the 55-45 rule grew out of an assumption that the only uh, establishments that would sell alcohol outside of, um, outside of bars would be restaurants. And so that was seen as a, as a healthy balance to, you know, keep restaurants from becoming bars. Um, I, I share Mr. Hughes's concern that we don't want uh, uh, downtown to become a, a single, um, you know, bar with sidewalks. But to me, this seems like a reasonable adjustment to the existing ratio. Um, and so that's my two cents. Uh, Commissioner Sands, uh, do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, just a question for staff. Um, what type business, because in the CD, um, and I know the use table extends, uh, but in the, in the body of the staff report, it only reflects the eating and drinking establishments. Um, accessory restaurant as a use on the CD, what, what type of, I'm sorry, I'm trying really hard to, to formulate my question. Within CD, certain businesses are allowed um, use by right, such as uh, tattoo shop. So would this also apply to a tattoo shop? Question for staff. Sorry, that took forever. Kyle Kobe with planning. Give me just a second while I make sure I'm understanding. I believe that off the top of my head, I can't think of what the use category is that we would apply to tattoo. I, would that be personal improvement services? Mm -hmm. Yes. So in that in the revised definition for accessory bar, personal improvement services is one of the uses that an accessory bar would be allowed to be accessory to. Um, so yes, I suppose the answer to that would be that it would permit a tattoo shop to have an accessory bar and to sell alcohol. That same, no more than 45% of your sales may derive from alcohol standard would apply and all of the licensing uh, requirements through the state um, that's facilitated through the city clerk's office would also still apply. But yes, it would allow for something like a tattoo shop to sell alcohol as well. Uh, Jeff. Mr. Sands, please continue. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, David Carter Chair. Jeff, you wanted to uh, follow up? Uh, Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. I just wanted to, to point the Commission's attention to the definition of, of personal convenience and personal improvement. It's 20-1748 uh, and 20-1749. Personal convenience can include things, um, and it, these, these both include a very wide range of items, as it's more of a, a heading of an option there, but it, it includes, uh, you know, tattoo, body piercing as a personal convenience service, um, nail salons, tanning salons, beauty salons, barber shops as those. Personal improvement services are uh, and can include things as uh, yoga, meditation studios, and, and diet centers. So there's, there's a wide range of uses that are housed underneath personal improvement and personal convenience. But to Commissioner Sands's point, I wanted to just uh, note that uh, personal convenience services is where tattoo, uh, tattoo and uh, body piercing shops show up in the land development code. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Sands, please. 
Rob Sands, Planning Commissioner. So, uh, I'm sorry, Jeff. Did you say personal improvement or personal convenience? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. It, the tattoo and body piercing would show up under personal convenience services. Okay. And so that would be a type of business such as all the other things that you listed that would allow for an accessory for this as an accessory use, correct? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services, correct. Okay. So, um, you know, and I, I saw Mr. Hughes' hand go up, and I, I would like to hear what he has to say. Um, I'm, I'm not... I'm not going down a road or a slippery slope on this at all. Um, there, there's a lot of businesses downtown that are not what we would consider, you know, pack, a retail where you walk out with your product, salons and, and uh, you know, nail studios and things like that, which I could, I could reasonably see a, a customer wanting to enjoy a small glass of wine while they get their whatever's done. Uh, pedicures or manicures or whatever. I'm a mani-pedi guy myself, so, but I'm a purist. Um, I, I'm just, and I and I understand that tattoos, tattoo parlors also have a licensing requirement that their customers not be in a certain state uh, while they're undergoing service. So not sure where I'm going with the line of questioning. I would like to hear what Mr. Hughes has to say, but but it does, it feels off to me somehow. I'll stop talking now. Um, David Carter, Chair. Uh, Mr. Hughes, would you care to respond to uh, uh, Commissioner Sands' observations? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate Dan Hughes, Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop. I appreciate the discourse. You know, ever since um, when the pandemic happened, we tried to pivot pretty hard to um, just providing experiences, as I said before, that couldn't be offered on the internet. And the whole thing was couched by the city as kind of an experiment to see where things went with this idea of a hybrid retail model that included traditional retail sales and then food and then maybe a beer after the ride. And with that in mind, we have really kind of kept the, the cafe portion of our business as this kind of walled garden. It, it works off its own point of sale system uh, it does not mingle with any, any any of the retail sales. And to this point, as we address the 5545 requirement, uh, the cafe is like 90-10 food and, uh, and coffee to 10% beer with all the other retail stuff on its own. And really the, the linchpin is that the retail sales are being held against us. So in my world, when we approached the city and said, listen, if we have to lump all of our bikes and boats and boots and all of those sales into the 45% and overcome them with 55% food, that does not work. There's no way we're going to, we could sell, we could sell a $7,000 burger up against a $7,000 bike, I guess. That's a pretty nice burger. Um, but the idea is that we're not a bar. We're not a, uh, we're at home in bed by 10 o'clock and in the cafe, it's 90, 10 food to alcohol. And we just don't want the retail sales held against us. So we've deliberately kept 
the the sales in the cafe as their own secret kind of walled garden that doesn't include any of the retail sales. And I don't, honestly, I don't want that for downtown. I don't want, when they came back to us and said, listen, you can sell 45, 55, whatever you want. Um, that's a, if I sell $2 million a year of retail, I can sell $1.6 million worth of, of beer and not be above the 55, 45 threshold. I don't want that for Sunflower and I don't want it for downtown. So really it's all just about not having the retail count against us. Thank you, Mr. Hughes, David Carter chair. I think this, uh, your, your comments and, and uh, Mr. S uh, Commissioner Sands's um, observations kind of uh, giving voice to where I was going with my discomfort with global change. Uh, because, you know, we're looking, we pre, uh, traditionally looking at one paradigm, 55-45 for essentially most likely a restaurant, right, where you've got food uh, making up for the majority of your sales, and then alcohol and other stuff, swag, you know, um, t-shirts and, 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 you know, um, uh, tumblers and things accounting for everything else. And now we're heading into a, a, a paradigm where we've got any kind of business, and with 45% of sales made up by alcohol and 55 by any, everything else. So it's even though when you're just looking at, at, um, at restaurants, it doesn't look like much of a change. When you're looking at this being applied to all businesses, it, uh, you know, it, 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 there's a big difference between zero and 45. And so while I'm, you know, I, I think this is a reasonable request, um, I'd like to ask a couple of questions. One of staff, and possibly of Kyle or of Jeff, um, looking at this order of the suspension from during the, the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic, can you clarify what precisely it was that was being suspended? Was it the sale of alcohol by you know, accessory businesses or, or the, I guess it was the sidewalk, there's the sidewalk sales. Can you just uh, elaborate on what were the specific changes uh, to the existing, you know, pre-pandemic code? And then I've got a follow-up question. Kyle will be with planning. I think I can, if I'm understanding the question correctly, I believe the answer is all of the changes that are before you tonight were included. The, I did not, uh, with one exception, which was the clarification to the definition of accessory restaurant, where we uh, modified, the, there's, Oh, there's a restaurant in there that we changed the principal use just to clarify the intent of that standard. All of the other changes were carried over directly from the resolution. So what you have before you tonight is the, uh, the scope of those changes that took place. Unless uh, if your question was more broadly, what were the full suite of changes, including sidewalk dining and um, like the parklets and things of that nature. I, I don't know that I could give a full rundown of there, there may be things that I, I was not aware of or uh, wouldn't necessarily know to bring up at this time, but um, as it pertains to this application and, and this kind of um, topic, um, there were no other changes other than the ones um, that are included at this time. Okay. Thank you, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. The reason I ask is, you know, we've had this, you know, 12 to 15 months, uh, I guess May, so, so uh, 12 months. Um, to see this suspension, it's kind of taken for a test drive, treated as a beta, um, and it's it's 
helped secure the survival of downtown in really difficult times. And so on one hand, it looks like something that is, you know, reasonable to make permanent. And we haven't seen, um, you know, chaos and, and um, some of the things that folks might legitimately be concerned about with this, with this change being made permanent. Um, I, I, the, the, my follow-up question though is, um, can you clarify um, what the next steps are if we were to approve the text amendment as presented to us tonight? Kyle Kirby was planning the next step would be to take it to the city commission for their um, review and approval. Um, they would, you know, obviously use the discussion that took place tonight as um, part of the, the information that they would be considering. But um, yeah, ultimately a text amendment is subject to city commission approval. So there would be another public hearing that took place. Um, I'm, I can't think of the date precisely off the top of my head, but um, you know, a few weeks down the road, this would be on the city commission agenda for their approval or modifications or you know what whatever the case may be based on their discussion. Thank you, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. I guess the, the thing that I'm moving toward, and forgive me, Commissioner Sands, I, I'll recognize you in just a second. I was just kind of continuing this line of, of thought. My, my, where I would most likely want to advise the city commission is to consider a ratio for non, you know, restaurant types of establishments that is lower than 45. Um, uh, you know, something, for example, around 25. And, and I guess we've got the sales, um, the sales um, uh, records, you know, from the past year, which are pretty uh, enlightening. Um, and alcohol sales, you know, everywhere from 5% to, um, I guess there's 38%, but that's Black Stag, which is, which sells food already. You know, I, I guess I would, I would ask that city staff take a look at uh, these figures and look for something maybe less than 45, uh, but greater than five uh, to allow establishments like Sunflower and others that, you know, maybe even barbershops, if you don't mind hair in your beer, um, to, uh, uh, to offer that kind of experience, uh, but at the same time to preempt concerns from neighbors and, and other patrons in the area who might, you know, anticipate that this is going to become a big excuse for bar, rather than businesses that also sell alcohol, bars that also do something else. Uh, thanks. Thanks for entertaining my comments. Um, thank, uh, Commissioner uh, Shanklin, I'd like to ask, Commissioner Sands, did you still have something you wanted to say? Uh, I did, but I'll defer uh, to Commissioner Shanklin. And okay. if if he doesn't say what I was going to say, then I'll come back to it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Sorry about the delay there. I, I may not... Uh, say what you were going to say, Commissioner Sands. Um, I'd like to respond to Chair Carter's comments um, by asking a question of planning staff. Is there anything other than competition that limits the number of bars that exist on Massachusetts Street? Kyle Kobe with planning. Could you restate that question? I, I, I do not know if I, if I heard all of it. Is, is there anything other than competition 
that would limit the number of bars that we see along Mass Street. Um, Kyle Kilby with Planning Aid. Um, out and out bars, uh, uh, uses that we would um, classify as a bar or lounge use are n would not be permitted. So if, I don't know if the question is accessory bars specifically. I, I, I'm sorry, what, what I'm going to is the quantity of alcohol that's sold on mass. Is there anything that limits that other than competition? I mean, the existence of yet another bar, is that somehow prohibited? If somebody thinks that they can lease space, open a bar, sell alcohol, um, is, is there a way that that somehow gets limited other than someone's willingness to compete with other bars? Jeff Crick, Planning Development Services Director. At present, it would be the 55% food sales ratio that is required in there. There's a number of licenses that were grandfathered prior to the original code's adoption in 1993. So since then, all, rest, all those establishments had to have 55% food sales as, as part of that component. So there is a, excuse me, there is a handful that have a grandfathered license as part of their process, but it, it, otherwise new ones would come online and as part of that 55% that requirement. Okay, I, I guess what I'm getting at is that it seems to me that there are numerous opportunities to sell alcohol en masse, um, that, that they are not um, limited in a way that, that, that by limiting accessory uses, we're going to achieve anything meaningful. And so for that reason, I, I think that the, the limitation that's imposed on uh, Sunflower and anyone else that has a similar use is probably perfectly fine. Um. David Carter, Chair, I, I'm just going to ask um, Commissioner Shanklin to, to clarify uh, that last statement. When you say, when you say perfectly fine, are you, are you saying you believe that the 5545, uh, the existing uh, break is perfectly fine, or that the proposed uh, change is perfectly fine? The proposed change. Okay. Thank you. David Carter, Chair, uh, was there any other comment, Commissioner Shanklin? No. Okay, very good, thank you. Um, uh, Commissioner Sands, did you uh, have did still have uh, comments you wanted to make? Yeah, um, Rob Sands, Planning Commissioner. So um, if there's questions for staff, just some quick fire ones. Um, so Jeff or Kyle, if I open a wedding dress shop, can I sell up to 45% can I make up to 45% of my sales be alcohol at the wedding dress shop? Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, if I, I go through all the licensing, that is. Assuming that that use classification, and for, I, I hesitate to state definitively that the use classification is one that is included in the definition, but if the use classification for a wedding dress shop fell under one of the uses that's included in the revised definition of accessory bar, then you could have an accessory bar um, at that location that would then be subject to the no more than 45% alcohol sales. I think depending on the, I think it's always, it's very iffy to give um, definitive feedback on that just because the 
scope and type of the goods and services that were offered at that location might impact what that use designation would be. But if it ultimately wound up as one of the uses that is permitted to have an accessory bar, then yes, I believe the answer to your question is yes. Okay, um, follow-up question. So uh, accessory bar, this proposal would be allowed in participant sports and recreation. So if I opened up a business where participants could throw knives at a wooden board, would that be would that would I be able to derive forty up to forty five percent of my revenue from alcohol sales? Kyle Kobe with planning. I uh, forgive me for the caveat, but once again, if if that use fell if if that is indeed something we would classify as participant sports and recreation indoor, which I believe it would be, um, then yes, that this would also apply to that. Okay. I I don't have a problem with a traditional retail establishment doing exactly what sunflower is doing having a lounge area uh where people partake um of a beer or a glass of wine and you know within reason um i i think maybe what i'm concerned about is is um retail establishment or any establishment that may fall into the uses that that are proposed here that we're not anticipating right now that would be also allowed to sell alcohol and derive up to 45% of the revenue from the sale of alcohol. Um, and, and at a certain point, it does get to the public health and safety issue. Um, but, uh, but I also don't think it's appropriate to exclude certain businesses. So I'm, I'm pretty well stuck on this one. Thank you, Commissioner Sands. David Carter, Chair. Um, you know, as, as the moderator of this discussion, I'm inclined to call attention to our advisory role here and just, um, and uh, I'm, I'm just hoping um, that um, City Commission listens to this discussion and uh, takes it into consideration in, in advance of um, their, their consideration of this. Um, I, uh, I do have comments, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to defer to uh, Commissioner Payton. Yeah, this is Commissioner Payton. Um, I think this is a really interesting discussion, some things I didn't think about when I, I originally started reading this, but uh, Dan Hughes said something interesting in his applicant response. He might've brought this up earlier too, but that this, the 5545 is going against the original intent the intent of the original ordinance. And I do agree with that. So um, I think it's, it's actually almost doing the opposite of what we were intending to do to begin with, which is we didn't want uh, bars overrunning downtown. So after listening to some of this other discussion, uh, I'm thinking say every single retail store downtown wanted to have an accessory bar to sort of support that or or you know to kind of have some something you know you're getting married and you want to have a beer while you're trying on dresses or whatever <laughs> um so maybe what i'm thinking now is um is the 45 percent too high and I, I i think maybe dan responded to that but i was just wondering if that if if dan's amenable to that um 
if yes, why? And if no, why not? I, I just kind of wanted to get a feel for if every business did that and we didn't want them all to be bars, but it wasn't a big deal for everyone to do that, how that, how that would play out where they would, it would still feel like a retail environment and a place where people could go both have a little something and purchase. So I guess if Dan could answer that. Uh, Dan Hughes, Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop. Uh, thank you for those comments, Commissioner Payton. Uh, I would say unequivocally that as a, a person that's been in the downtown footprint for over 30 years, I, I do not want to see downtown Lawrence overrun with uh, people selling alcohol at every possible opportunity. So the idea that the, the really the linchpin here is that when all of our retail sales are counted against us, the, the cafe sells 80 or 85% food to alcohol. That is the intent of the original ordinance is that you got to have food to offset the alcohol. It's just when we have to lump all the other things um, all the retail things we do into the alcohol side of things and have food overcome it, that it becomes untenable. So uh, we are fully uh, uh, amenable to the idea of a lower threshold. I, again, if, if I sell $2 million a year worth of retail products, I could sell $1.6 million worth of, of beer. I don't want that. I don't want that for Sunflower. I don't want that for downtown. Um a lower percentage is completely in the ballpark. That's where we want to be. It's it's a beer to slake your thirst at the end of a trail run, not um, not a twenty four seven beer and bar downtown. Thank you, Mr. Hughes, uh, uh, David Carter, Chair, uh, Commissioner Payton. Please give a follow up. Uh, Aaron Payton, Commissioner. So I have a question for staff. Staff now uh, is. There a way? I mean, I'm. I guess I'm not exactly clear on how this works out, but to separate out the to do the uh, up to 45 alcohol requirement, but also um, to separate that retail from uh, the, the the accessory cafe bar. Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, I think that the answers. I don't know that. I don't know if I um, followed the question entirely. I believe that the question was: Is there a way to differentiate between um, to have more diff more factors than just alcohol and other sales, um, where you would establish a, an overall amount of your other sales that were permitted and then in conjunction with your alcohol have specific, more specific types of sales that would offset it rather than just everything else? Is that, was that the? Uh, Commissioner Payton. Yeah, but you know what? I feel like I'm kind of complicating things. So I think, I, I feel like the easy, easiest thing to consider is a lower, a lower alcohol, um, Percentage. Thank you, Jeff. David. Oh, forgive me. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Jeff. Uh, please go ahead. 
My apologies, Mr. Chair. Uh, Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. The item that I would note with lowering the percentages is that restaurant quality is one of the uses that are in here. And so you would be adjusting, you know, restaurants downwards in their amount. So restaurants that have a brewery component or other uses that would have to reevaluate to see, you know, d does that adjustment downward cause them to run afoul of their reporting requirements? Um, so it, that would be an evaluation criteria that we'd probably want to take a look at as we talk about the percentages. Um, you know, if a, if a restaurant is uh, a brewery also, they might be doing, you know, that might be a complication that we would need to look at and study more in depth as part of that. The, the spirit and the intent of the amendment was to kind of as Mr. Hughes has relayed on there is, you know, to not necessarily take away from the ratio in itself, but bring the ratio a little bit more in line with what we're seeing in the economy in the world today that we didn't see maybe in, in the 90s when it was first envisioned. It, so it's not to, we're not trying to, we weren't proposing to adjust the ratio based on on some of that we were just trying to turn kind of turn other side of the coin if you will and instead of focusing on the things that are food and products and uh, t-shirts and glassware as part of that uh, or in the case of mr hughes's business bicycles and, and boats and those things but to focus more on what the intent of that original amendment was which was related to just the sale of alcohol as as part of its scope and focus Kyle, thank you jeff if I can just piggyback off of what Jeff just said. I, I think that he, something that I probably could have highlighted earlier in this discussion is that um, in your staff report, you have a, a summary of the, um, it, in developing the staff report, one of the things I did was I reached out to the city clerk to get um, recent history for uses downtown that were selling alcohol, which essentially equates to restaurants. So. Um, of the 26 total businesses that were included in the data that I received, if, for example, you were to lower the requirement to 30% from 45%, as of right now, that would be six restaurants would be operating out of compliance if that was, was lowered. And I appreciate Jeff bringing up the, um, the reality that the accessory bar is not just accessory to the retail components and, and the, the other uses, but also to restaurants. So that, that would have an impact on the restaurants as well. Now, to what extent, I don't know. I don't know how much adjustment might happen following you know, a change of that nature, but I just kind of wanted to highlight that as well. Thank you, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. I, I, all of this is getting toward what I was intending to, to call attention to a few minutes ago. I mean, it, it seems to me, and again, purely from advisory standpoint. I mean, I'm just advising city commission to, to, to consider this thoughtfully, um, that we should differentiate between restaurants and we've got restaurants, bars, and other accessory businesses. I, I wouldn't want to lower limits on what restaurants are able to do. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with some, some restaurants that also sell alcohol and that Finding that 55% balance is, can, can be really tough for some. Um, but my concern is in the aggregate. It's kind of what um, you know, Mr. Hughes was, was alluding to, um, that if you can go from business to business to business and find a drink in every single establishment, um, you don't have to look at um, 
bars be you know more bars being uh, the only the only issue. I mean the competition between uh, bars. Rather, you have this experience of 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 alcoholizing every single retail experience, and it does turn downtown into essentially what I was saying earlier, uh, one big bar with sidewalks. And so I would be. I would be really cautious about making this an option for every single establishment. I would I would consider for non-restaurant establishments keeping the limit at something relatively low, something between say 10 and 25%, so that it opens that option to those establishments and doesn't get in the way of of plans like 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 sunflowers, which seems you know in agreement with other commissioners that it seems a really reasonable and you know it's complementary to this social aspect of the brand that they're selling, but at the same time doesn't turn every single establishment into a, an aggregate bar, of contributing to the experience of an aggregate bar downtown. Uh, so um, I know there were several other commissioners who wanted to speak up. I saw you know Commissioner Ashworth, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, who also seemed to want to say something. So please let me know. Commissioner Ashworth. Commissioner Ashworth, Planning Commissioner. Um, just an observation, I'm kind of curious as to why there isn't more correspondence from other businesses. Given the breadth of businesses that would be affected by this downtown, I'm, I'm just surprised and I'm wondering if anybody, uh, Mr. Hughes can speak to maybe some casual conversations with other businesses downtown or Downtown Inc. Um, why they have not weighed in on this proposal. So that's my, my observation, if Mr. Hughes might uh, jump in about that. And my second a question to staff is, I, I am very curious what staff would have to say about Commissioner Car Carter's proposal that non-restaurant businesses have a different ratio. Because um, I understand the concern about changing that for restaurants. So. Yeah. So, Dan, yep, Dan Hughes, Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop. Um, as to the general conversation about this pivot uh, downtown, um, I've had some conversations with other retailers uh, downtown about whether or not they want to add um, alcohol as part of their experience. But I think most of most of everybody in downtown Lawrence for the last year and a half has been in a fairly hunker down sort of mode, um, trying to um, survive the pandemic. And whether that's a, a restaurant pivoting to outdoor dining in a parklet, or it's uh, a department store on the corner of 9th and Mass trying to figure out how to deliver goods and goods in, in a curbside or online experience. I think everybody has been um, and this is just a, a guess on my part, but I think they're they're really kind of in a bunker mentality and maybe not looking towards what the future of retail might be um, and and trying to provide those experiences that can't be purchased online somewhere. Um, and, and honestly, because we have so many eclectic mom and pop uh, retailers downtown, they may not have the wherewithal to execute on uh, a plan that involves a, a cafe or uh, a mobile operation or any of the other items on our strategic plan. So I know that when we went to the city and said, yeah, this 55-45 thing is, we just can't overcome that. Um, their reaction was, look, we can't, we can't judge how much you're selling 
55 to 45, because we, we just look at it from a, a sales tax perspective. The sales tax on goods and services and food is at one level and alcohol is at another level. And that's how we tell what your, what your ratio is. Um, so let's flip the script for the next year and see what the experimentation is like. And, and I don't know that there have been very many uh, traditional retailers who have, have grabbed that, that brass ring and tried to experiment right? They've been in a hunker down mode. So um, yes, there have been conversations about what this might be like, but the hurdles to get to this point of being able to sell uh, a beer at the end of a trail run are pretty formidable. Thank you, Mr. Hughes. Uh, uh, David Carter, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, did you have any follow-up questions? Oh, thank you uh, for that. But my follow-up question was to staff about your proposal, Commissioner Carter's uh, proposal about changing the ratio for non-restaurant uses, as you just mentioned prior to my comment. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. I, I think to- Commissioner Asworth's question, there's, there's two use categories in the table that we're, we're generally talking about this evening. One is eating and drinking establishments and the other is retail sales and service. Uh, off the top of my head without really having uh, put a, a great deal of brain power behind it at the moment, uh, it is possible to, to differentiate a ratio based on the use categories and kind of use that as a, a measure and metric to figure out to, to kind of uh, to Commissioner uh, Carter's uh, note there. Now, I don't have in front of me or have the uh, idea of what that would, you know, how that would shape and look like to do the measurements to kind of how, you know, is that possible to be able to split those sales and, and have that kind of calculation be done? We need to work with the city clerk's office and research that a little bit more, but it is possible to just uh, separate the ratio based on the use categories and the tables and then kind of use that as a, as a way to kind of differentiate between those that are, um, for the lack of a better description, selling product versus selling food. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair, I would just make one request for when you present this information to the city commission that you sort the table on um, the alcohol sales percentage so that it's easier to kind of see what the trends are and if there are any breaks in the distribution because it'll be kind of easier to tell you know oh there are x number of of um, establishments selling at this level and you know most of them are selling at some other level um commissioner uh, sinclair um I think you had a question or comment. Yeah, Luke Sinclair, Planning Commissioner. I actually had a question for you, uh, Mr. Chair, on lowering the um, percentage for uh, alcohol sales for some, certain other non-restaurant or retail type businesses. Um, I mean, the goal there is to, is it to disincentivize businesses getting into um, that business, so to speak? And if so, is it better just to disallow it and you know as many as we can or this the city commission <laughs> wants to um because uh if we're just lowering the percentage it seems to me we'd still have uh sort of the aggregate bar that you'd be concerned about it just be you know the businesses wouldn't i guess be able to promote that kind of uh aspect of their um sales as much as others or things along that line. And I'm wondering, um, cause I, I guess I'm kind of, 
Um, <clears throat> I'm kind of in favor, I think, at this point of just a bright line, you know, 45% rule across the board. I'm sensitive to the concerns. And I think, you know, what Mr. Hughes was mentioning just a little while ago, the fact that so many businesses have been in hunker down mode, um, you know, as things open back up and businesses sort of uh, spin back up to normal speed, it may be that they start thinking about doing this and, and you know, there's a, a sort of a glut of these sorts of uh, um, uses. Um, but I, my, my concerns on that are tempered, I think, for um, the uh, sort of the things that I think that Commissioner Shanklin mentioned. I mean, there's, there, are market, uh, there are market controls out there um, and uh, getting a liquor license and everything that's attendant to that, I think, would probably curb a lot of people from concern. Uh, considering it. And so I, I, I'm just trying to get a sense, though, as we think about this, r reducing the percentage um, to 20%, is that going to accomplish what what the, you're, you're shooting for, do you think? Uh, or is it better just to cut to the chase and be like, you know, all these uses cannot take advantage of this, you know, 0%. Sure. Um, just sort of a question as, as I yeah. consider these things. That's a great question, um, uh, Commissioner Sinclair, uh, David Carter Chair. And I'm just, uh, and before I answer, I'm just going to re return to what I was saying earlier, but just kind of calling attention to the fact that we're just here in, advi in an advisory role and that it's really policymakers who ought to be making the decision and ought to be having like hours long discussions about this. Um, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm taking into account a few of the things we were, we were looking at. One was Commissioner Sands' um, observations about certain types of businesses and kind of a sensitivity to, you know, I already expressed my misgivings about like a global change, but I'm also really uh, uncomfortable with the idea of trying to single out certain types of businesses that shouldn't uh, be able to do this. I mean, it becomes just really complicated. Um, so I guess my, my point is trying to find a, 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 a balance between, you know, what is the experience that ultimately um, retailers like Mr. Hughes would like to uh, sell to customers? Um, and I think if I understood, you know, his initial uh, um, uh, uh, comments, and if Mr. Hughes, I'll give you a chance to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically to enhance the existing experience, basically to secure this thing that they're already trying to sell and make them competitive with somebody like an Amazon. On the, on the other hand though, looking into the future and as someone who's been going to downtown my whole life, you know, what do you hear over and over again? You know, everything's becoming a restaurant, everything's becoming a bar. Um, there's this, on the other hand, there's this idea of, you know, future retailers beyond the ones that are there right now and just trying to enhance that existing experience who might come in and say, you know, well, our, really the motivator, the principal motivator behind our business is going to be alcohol, but we're also going to have some, some, some um, accessory experience that goes along with the alcohol. And um, that's my longer term concern where I'm, I'm really wary of, unintended consequences from something we're trying to do to benefit an existing business, uh, but that by flipping that switch, it's so binary, it becomes something that endangers retailers like Mr. Hughes in the long term, because the, the clientele, you know, that, that might have been attracted to this, this you know, social um, experience becomes turned off by whatever the mix of businesses is, 10, you know, you know, two, three, four, five 
years uh, down the, the road. So Commissioner Sinclair, that's basically what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Ultimately, again, it's policymakers' decision, but I'm just trying to raise some other, some other possibilities. Uh, so first I'll say, uh, Commissioner Sinclair, did I answer your question? Yeah, I appreciate that. I, th I okay, great. thought it would be worthwhile just Luke Sinclair Planning Commissioner just to expand on it a little bit and note maybe that alternative for the for the people that get to make the policy. Sure, thanks. And David Carter Chair, uh, Mr. Hughes, did I misrepresent your your position that you gave earlier? Uh, Dan Hughes, Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop. No, uh, you didn't misrepresent it at all. I would just uh, layer on there that retail as we know it is rapidly evolving and uh, the pandemic put that into overdrive. So I think of a, an institution like Weavers at the corner of Ninth and Mass and I think of them in competition with Nordstrom mm -hmm. who has a cafe and Nordstrom Cafe allows people to come in and shop and then eat lunch and maybe have a glass of wine and, and that's the toolbox that every traditional brick and mortar retailer downtown is fighting against and, and Amazon. So uh, we're not looking to upset the apple cart here. We're just looking to make sure that um, we have every, every tool available, so. Thank you, Mr. Hughes. David Carter, Chair. Um, I'm, I'm happy to entertain more comments, questions from other commissioners, but I just kind of like to frame this in terms of something. I'd, I'd ultimately like to turn this toward the city commission and make them, you know, discuss whatever ultimate policy they want to implement. Um, I, I personally feel like we've done a pretty decent job of airing concerns on both sides. Ultimately, I'm inclined to just uh, you know, following along with uh, Commissioner Sinclair's comments, I'm inclined to go ahead and just recommend approval of this. But with the uh, in the staff report to the city, I would just ask that they uh, give appropriate uh, space to the concerns that have been raised in the in the in the uh, in this meeting. Uh, and I guess Jeff, I would just ask. Is that something that can be done as part of preparation of the staff report that during during this discussion, you know, the, the X concerns were raised? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. Certainly we can include a memo that will encapsulate tonight's discussion and kind of uh, bring a synopsis to it. We'll also include a link to the video so it'll be available too. But uh, we, we can provide a, a memo that kind of covers those points discussed. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. I, I do want to give other commissioners an opportunity to share any other concerns, but I'd also entertain a motion one way or the other. Commissioner uh, Carpenter, I think I was just going to call in you anyway. Please go ahead. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Mr. Hughes, I, I heard you say that, um, you know, alcohol is one tax rate, food and retail goods are another tax rate. I understand that. But do you have to keep track of your actual food sales separate from the retail sales for the different licensing agencies? Uh, we do. And in our uh, business, sorry, Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop, Dan Hughes, um, we do. And in our business, the, the cafe with the alcohol sales is a completely other point of sale system. It's to be specific, it's square. That's the, that's the people we use there all the other retail operations are run through a different point of sale. So it's its own, the cafe is its own walled garden and we report to 
the, the state of Kansas about all of our alcohol sales. Obviously we have the licenses, we have all that in place, but it doesn't intermingle at all with the retail. If somebody calls and want, uh, comes in and wants to buy an inner tube and a beer, it's two separate transactions. They have to buy the, the inner tube through the retail side of things. They have to buy the beer or the coffee or the pastry or the sandwich through the other, um, the other point of sale. Jim Carpenter, planning commissioner. So I think that's where I'm going. So food sales, coffee sales, beer sales are com reported completely separately from bikes, tents, backpacks, and all that, correct? Yes, absolutely. There's no yep. mingling. And what the text amendment here is about extending accessory restaurant use into um, retail so that would suggest to me that you have to have a separate food sales location to, to be able to sell the alcohol. Or am I getting that wrong? I guess that's a question of staff. With accessory restaurant that expands into retail, is there a requirement to sell food or can you simply get a liquor license and sell liquor? Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, I guess it would depend on the goods and services that a, a, an individual business wanted to provide. If I believe the question was, would you be able to just get a liquor license and just sell beer and not have to sell food as well? I believe that would be something. I mean, in that case, you would be an accessory bar where um, if you were selling food and alcohol, you'd be an accessory restaurant. I think is how we would probably classify that. So if Jim Carpenter, planning commissioner, so if we're talking about accessory restaurant, could this testament require the combination of food and alcohol sales and not permit simply alcohol sales? Kyle Kobe with planning. I don't, I mean, nothing is occurring to me right now that would prevent us from typing the sentence or sentences out that, that spelled it out that way. Um, I don't know if there would be a, a legal issue behind that or, or if it would conflict with some other area of the code that, that I, I don't know that I could, I don't well, know. Well, Jim Carter, Jim Carter, couldn't that just be to how the city um, defines accessory restaurant? I think that's entirely within our purview, isn't it? Kyle Kobe with planning. I'm sorry. I, I did. Uh, I, I know this has happened several times. I didn't catch all of that. There was a little bit of static right at a key moment. I'm sorry. All right. I guess I'll, I'll extend this to Randy since he just popped up and probably has something to add to this. Isn't it within the purview of the city to define accessory restaurant as a requirement of primarily food? and then also could have alcohol associated with that food? Yeah, absolutely, the city could do that. I think the issues that we've had regarding the 45 and 55 and the reasons why there was no separation between retail goods and food at the time was that the tax reports that the city receives doesn't divide it up. We get, we get the tax for alcohol and we get the tax for everything else. So that's the reason we've had difficulties, it's just, from that side of separating food from other sales and other things. I know that the clerk's office has that and that's why it is what it is that currently we don't divide those up into different things, but we could do, 
we can make those uh, definition changes and those those things that you suggest. Those could all be put into the city code if the city commission so wanted to do that. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. You know, I've traveled a lot and we've seen a lot of combinations around the areas. I, I remember going into a t-shirt shop once in Durango and then walking into a bar. That was quite a surprise. Um, in Texas, we saw a combination bridal shop, gas station, and bar. Um, to Commissioner Sands' <laughs> question, there's all kinds of combinations out there permitted apparently by local ordinances. I'm just wondering if we could keep our existing ratio of food to alcohol sales by requiring both food and alcohol to be tied together if this wants to go into retail. Because I can't see, say, a small down a, a, a book a t-shirt shop maybe wanting to open up both a cafe and a liquor in a bar or sell beer, which means at least two additional regulatory agencies you have to deal with and report to constantly. I mean, this is a big expense to the business on top of everything else. And, you know, I'm, I'm just looking for a way that maybe we can simplify this, that we, we tie it to food, that we can keep it the same for everybody. Because I'm pretty sure if we start applying different standards to different types of businesses, we could run afoul and have some problems. Um, so I'm just throwing that out there in the conversation to the city commission. I'd like to you know, push this forward to the city commission. Uh, we have to find a way to help our local retailers keep going. And if, and if some of them think that this is appropriate, I think we can do it in a way that limits the use of it. Because I don't think we're gonna have everybody down the street try to do this. I mean, we're gonna reach a saturation level on top of that too. And certain businesses don't go with it. In fact, I don't know if you can actually sell alcohol or you do tattoos. Those licensing requirements might say absolutely no, no way, never. So, you know, there's all kinds of things we don't have in front of us right now um, that are going to play out. So I just want to throw another way of possibly looking at this into the mix that goes to the city commission. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. David Carter, Chair, I just want to clarify um, under the circumstances, um, would you just ask that that, I, that idea be added to the memorandum to the city commission? Yes. Perfect. Um, yeah, thank you. That's a really, really uh, insightful observation. Um, I, I have to confess some, something similar occurred to me earlier, but I would, have not, I would not have been able to find a way to express it so succinctly as you did. So um, with that, I'm going to ask if other commissioners have, have ideas, feedback, questions, uh, or possibly even a motion at this point uh, so that we can, um, I, 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 because unless I'm mistaken, I, I think there's a general consensus that we want, um, you know, businesses like Mr. Hughes's to succeed, um, and be, to have the opportunity to, to you know, broaden the, uh, the services that they provide to their customers and to contribute to an overall commercial health of downtown. Um, so uh, I, I'd like to ask other commissioners to uh, either um, raise other uh, uh, perspectives that maybe we haven't heard already, or perhaps uh, to make a motion uh, so that we can move on. 
Commissioner Sands. Uh, two questions for staff. Uh, they're short. Um, first, how come the city isn't a an applicant? Craig Planning and Development Services Director Commissioner Sands, are you referencing the text amendment? Yes. Oh. The in the instance the city commission initiated the text amendment as part right. of that and i believe it was at the request of that they when we did the temporary changes to it but they they put in place the the temporary regulation so how come how come the city's not an applicant or a co-applicant uh, kyle kobe with planning i um, so the text amendment was initiated at the same time that the temporary resolution was adopted. So part of right. that motion that was made. So all of it follows that initial request by the applicant, um, for these changes to take place. And I, I guess, I don't know that the city would typically be, uh, if I'm understanding the question correctly, we would, in effect, be making the city an applicant on every text amendment application. Is is that? Is, am I understanding the question correctly? Um, no. The so the city commission adopted a, a resolution that allowed for certain uses, specifically in response to COVID-19 pandemic. And so I'm wondering why the the burden on this is on Mr. Hughes and not the, not the city. Why is the city not an applicant? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Typically when, when the city commission initiates a text amendment or the planning commission or the board of county commissioners initiates a text amendment, it's to kind of just start that discussion and have that process there. And it's to give the discussion the room to have it. Um, in, in the instance, I think it's fair to say is, you know, the city commission is in many respects an applicant because they've asked for that initiation, or excuse me, they initiated the amendment to go forward and that it's not typically in the same line as what you would see with a rezoning or a special use permit where there is a, an applicant coming before you for the same matter. This is more of a, a legislative look at code and, and a discussion in, in respects to that. Okay. And um, the next question is, as I read through this, um, with the, the resolution that the uh, city commission passed, um, does, doesn't it, you know, it talks about sidewalk dining. I mean, we all know that this is talking about downtown, but it doesn't say specifically downtown. Hmm. Uh, so it says CD, well, okay, it, does, it says CD, community commercial, commercial strip, and regional commercial zoning districts. So in that regard, th this would make it an accessory use in every other commercial district in the, in the city. Is that right? Kyle, could we with planning, do you, I, I, I think at one point you were discussing the sidewalk dining component of, of the temporary resolution, but I, I was your question ultimately, are there more districts that the accessory restaurant use is being applied to yes 
that is correct. It is being a, it it would be it would amend the land development code to permit accessory restaurant as as an accessory use in the the CD CCCR and CS zoning districts. So so this in effect is going to make permanent where where one business has has uh, taken the initiative to to do an experiment um, and other businesses in that resolution it, it allowed uh, sidewalk dining which other businesses up and down Mass Street have allowed in our downtown uh, business district, but it, it it makes that change permanent across everything else. So I, I am struggling to see how this is going to assist or protect um, our downtown compared to other commercial districts in the city. David Carter, Chair. Commissioner Sands, did you want a response on that last observation? Okay. I think that's uh, that's an important distinction. I'm glad you raised that because it was a question that I should have asked whether this was a measure that was proposed exclusively for the for for downtown. I mean, I, I, just to take a step back, I think there are a couple of different things that we're looking at here. One is the commercial health of downtown, and the other, kind of to the root of the what Mr. Hughes raised in his comments, is the the health of bricks and mortar retail and they're not the same thing but they're um um they they overlap but you're right they're not the same thing um i'd like to ask if any other commissioners have any concerns about that um about that distinction because i'm not sure if it's important to this particular text amendment but i but it is but it is Notable. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Sands. I'm I'm taking all the time because after this I'm done, right? But <laughs> Rob Sands playing commissioner. Um, I I want to I'm going to state at the onset that I think that I think the idea that Mr. Hughes has to keep his business um, relevant in downtown, to keep his employees employed, and to create a sense of community is is all 100% appropriate. I think that what is proposed to us though, doesn't, will not aid in protecting him as a downtown business owner or the rest of our downtown businesses. I, I don't, I, I'm gonna say this, but I don't mean this to sound rude or pejorative. I think this needs more work. Um, I think this needs to be a bit more focused um, specifically to downtown. And the reason I say that, and the reason I brought up the sidewalk dining um, part of the resolution was it is clear that even though the resolution states all the different zoning categories, it's still clearly specified, it's still in, in, in intent in order to allow downtown to continue to thrive. So I'd be, and I'm gonna ignore the fact that there's probably some businesses that we're not thinking about that where this alcohol sales probably wouldn't be 100% appropriate. I'm gonna ignore all that. I just, I, I think this needs more work. I think the proposal to, to say 45% of, of sales as compared to the sales of everything else is, is fine. It's wholly appropriate. 
in the confines of the downtown business district. Because when I look at businesses like art galleries, I think it would be very appropriate to enjoy a, a glass of wine while you peruse an art gallery to purchase something. Um, getting your nails done, getting your hair done, getting, getting pedicures. Uh, there are environments in which enjoying an adult beverage is, enhances the experience. My concern is, is I don't think what is proposed to us sufficiently answers that question. Thank you, Commissioner Sands, David Carter Chair. Um, I'm gonna open this back up again to other commissioners because I think we need to, sooner or later, we'll have to move on to uh, you know a recommend, recommendation to approve, a recommendation to deny or a deferral. I'd rather not defer. Uh, my, my, I'll, I'll, exp I'll express my personal preference is to approve with, with notes for the commission, city commission to uh, um, to consider, but I respect uh, Commissioner Sands's position on this. Uh, other other commissioners, uh, Commissioner uh, Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I, I have uh, a question for Mr. Hughes, and then a general comment. Um, the question for Mr. Hughes is. Are you at all concerned about your competitors, either downtown or let's say Dick's Sporting Goods or the Trek Shop out on Iowa, um, opening up, um, you know, a little cafe that may serve beer from time to time? Uh, Dan Hughes, Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop. Um, am I concerned about competitors following this hybrid model of providing experiences? Um, no. Uh, I feel like uh, the future of retail is less about selling actual goods that could be purchased someplace else and more about selling experiences. And if I'm being metaphysical, I feel like for 50 years, Sunflower has sold experiences. The the pair of boots is really just a means to an end to the walk in the woods or the bike is just a vehicle to get you on the trail. So really what we're doing with uh, providing um, a coffee in the morning or a, a sandwich at lunch or a beer after the ride is just codifying what what really has already been happening in the space, which is that people want to congregate there. They want to hang out with their community and, uh, you know, envision their next adventure and then talk about their most recent adventure. So uh, do I worry about other people doing the same thing? No. Um, am I, do I feel like they should sell some food to go along with it? Yes, I do. That's, that's what we envisioned our cafe to be was when we launched the thing, the idea was, man, we're we're not even going to get close to 55-45 on the percentages. We're going to sell 80-20 food to everything else, 90-10. It was just only when um, the city came back and said, no, 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 you've got to uh, you've got to overcome all of that alcohol sales with um, all the you got to overcome everything else with food. It, that just made it untenable. 
So a lower percentage, yeah, we're absolutely in, um, we would love to discuss that. But um, to your question, no, I, I, I would welcome other retailers to think about what the future of retail and what the future of downtown is. And, you know, the downtown master plan draft calls for experiential based retail in the downtown footprint. That's what this is. That's what the future of retail is. Merely transactional retail where you buy something for a price that has no, no community. And that's what we're trying to achieve is community. Okay, thank you. Uh, just my follow-up, uh, Commissioner Shanklin again. Um, to, to Commissioner Astor's observation about uh, the conspicuous absence of other uh, public commentary here, I think it's relevant. Um, we're doing a lot of speculation in this conversation without sufficient data. Where, um, whether we think about limiting in terms of quantity of alcohol sales or the geographic location of those sales, um, we're speculating that it is within the business model of retailers downtown or elsewhere to devote uh, a very scarce resource, their space that they're currently devoting to inventory or the provision of services um, to to selling food or alcohol. And I think they'll only do that when, first of all, the initial barriers to entry, as Commissioner Carpenter pointed out, um, are perceived to be ones that they can surmount. And I just, I think we're doing a lot of speculation about something that's not going to happen. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. David Carter, Chair. Other commissioners? wish to um, speak out on this. Um, I'm, again, I think we've got different scenarios here for how we move forward. I, again, I think generally we don't broadly disagree with, each, uh, with the, the overall initiative, unless I've misread people's comments. I think uh, Commissioner Sands raises, I think we've got th three different kind of points that need to be articulated in any communication to the city commission. One is the thought of, of lowering the, the percentage from 45 to something possibly considerably lower. I proposed somewhere between 10 and 25%. Another is Commissioner Carpenter's idea of um, requiring that any sales of alcohol be combined with sales of food. And then possibly you don't even have to change the 55, 45, um, um, uh, you know, a break. And then the third is uh, Commissioner Sands' observation about distinguishing between downtown and other, um, other districts around the city. Um, I'm gonna return one more time to our advisory role and I'm not sure if it's up to us to make specific recommendations, but um, I'm, I'm open to any other uh, commissioner's perspectives. I'm also open to a motion. If, if any commissioner feels that they're in that position. I'm also a friend of uncomfortable silences. You have to enjoy that part of being chair. Jim Carpenter, plenty of commission. 
Yes, uh, thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, Commissioner Sinclair. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Planning Commissioner. Uh, Mr. Chair, should should someone just make a motion and we can kind of get, I would get the temperature of the commission as a result? I mean, I think that I would be highly um, <laughs> amenable to something like that. Uh, I'm happy to fall on the sword. Um, then uh, I would make a motion that we uh, forward the proposed amendment to the City of Lawrence Land Development Code, Articles 4, 5, and 17 pertaining to the regulation of alcohol sales and associated uses to the Lawrence City Commission with a recommendation for approval. Thank you, Commissioner Sinclair. Um, and, and just as a point of order, forgive me, I'm going to ask Jeff, everything that we talked about articulating um, observations in the memorandum, that, that doesn't need to be part of the motion. That's something that will just be part of the staff report. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. Correct, we would just include that as, as the discussion points in the item as, as part of that goes up there. Part of the amendment does require that the commission can submit in writing some of the, the details to it. So we would just put that into the memorandum as that as, as information for the body to consider. Thank you, uh, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. Um, given uh, Commissioner Sinclair's uh, motion, do I have a second? Commissioner Sands, is that a second? Thank you. Um, and uh, do we have any further discussion? All right, Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Commissioner Sands, you, one, uh, another point? Last one. Um, I'm, uh, I'm actually, I'm going to vote against it, but I seconded it because I think the concept is sound. I'm going to vote against it because I think it's too broad uh, use in base zoning districts. Um, but since I can't, since I have to have an up or down vote, I thought a second and a vote against would be as close to showing my support of the initiative downtown as I can without approving, without approving it in uh, wider use citywide. Thank you, Commissioner Sands. Um, respect your 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 uh, your uh, position, um, Jeff. Unless uh, Commissioner Shanklin, was there any further discussion from you? I think that was a second. Okay, great. Uh, Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Ashworth. Yes. Commissioner Butler. No. Commissioner Carpenter. Yes. Commissioner Carter. Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Sands? No. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Motion passes six to two. Thank you very much, uh, David Carter Chair, and thank you, Mr. Hughes, for your patience in sitting through this. Um, uh, we only have two items on the agenda. Uh, so basically we're, end, we're done with our, our regular agenda. We've got on um, miscellaneous older new business and for procedural reasons, we do have two more items to consider. Um, I would just like to take the temperature of the other commissioners and ask whether a brief recess would be in order or whether people want to power through. Uh, com uh, Commissioner uh, Ashworth, I think I see I, the I support for a brief recess. So why don't yeah, we take- brief, but Okay, absolutely. Let's take uh, let's take five minutes and come back here at eight forty nine. Thank you. Hey all.
Um, thanks. Um, uh, thanks to uh, folks for waiting through the recess. Uh, we are now at uh, our miscellaneous uh, new or old business, and uh, we have two items, two specific items. And uh, the uh, David Carter Chair. Uh, the uh, first item is to consider a variance from the sidewalk requirements for a minor subdivision uh, for Billy Edition located at 109 North 8th Street. And uh, Avery, I believe you're gonna um, uh, educate us about this. That is correct. Uh, good evening, commissioners. My name is Avery Kerner and I am a planner with the planning division. The item before you this evening is to consider a variance from the sidewalk requirements for a minor subdivision MS-21-00144 for Billy Edition located at 109 North 8th Street. As you know, minor subdivisions are processed administratively. However, planning commission approval is required for variances from the subdivision design standards. The minor subdivision for Billy Edition is currently under review, but was included within the staff report to provide context. So tonight there is no planning commission action needed related to the proposed minor subdivision. We'll just be considering the variance request. So quickly, I'll just give a little bit of background information on the proposed minor subdivision in the property, and then I'll go further into the variance request before you this evening. So 109 North 8th Street is currently made up of portions of two plotted lots. The minor subdivision associated with this variance request proposes to dissolve a lot line that runs vertically through the center of the property and proposes to establish two new horizontally plotted lots which will add one developable lot to the neighborhood. There are currently no sidewalks on either side of this block along North 8th Street. The property was previously plotted as part of Simpson subdivision, which was recorded in 1866. North 8th Street is classified as a local street, which requires a five foot minimum sidewalk on both sides of the street per section 20-811C1I of the subdivision regulations. Approximately 151 linear feet of sidewalk would need to be installed on the west side of North 8th Street with this minor subdivision. And this section of sidewalk would not immediately connect to any existing sidewalk. This area does have limited sidewalk infrastructure. Sidewalk en route to John Taylor Park and Woodlawn Elementary School exists on the west side of North 8th Street, north of Walnut Street. Again, the variance request this evening is from the requirement to provide sidewalk along North 8th Street as is required for local streets per section 20-811C1I of the subdivision regulations. This request isn't to consider deferring installation of the sidewalk, but is to decide whether or not sidewalk will ever have to be installed at this location. So if you choose tonight to grant the variance, then this property will be exempt from ever having to install sidewalk. If you choose to deny the variance, the applicant will be required to install sidewalks as required by the subdivision regulations. This sidewalk variance is before you this evening because the city engineer was not in support of deferring the installation of the sidewalk for the associated minor subdivision. And this is because of the property's close proximity to parks and because the minor subdivision is for approximately half the block. Section 20-813G of the subdivision regulations outlines the variance process and review criteria for variances from the subdivision design standards. There are three criteria to be reviewed when considering a variance and per section 20-813G2 of the subdivision regulations, a variance shall not be granted unless all three of the criteria apply. 
Those criteria are, one, that strict application of these regulations will create an unnecessary hardship upon the subdivider. Two, that the proposed variance is in harmony with the intended purpose uh, of the subdivision regulations. And three, that the public health, safety, and welfare will be protected. In reviewing criteria one, staff was of the opinion that the requirement to install sidewalk at this location on the west side of North 8th Street does not constitute an unnecessary hardship. There are no contextual issues on the site that would prohibit installation of a sidewalk and adequate right of way already exists to accommodate the installation. Staff also found that the second criteria did not apply and that granting the variant the requested variance from providing sidewalk would be in opposition to the purpose and the intent of the regulations. The purpose and intent of the subdivision regulations is to, among other things, ensure the continuity of the city's transportation network and other public needs, as well as to contribute to conditions conducive to to the health and safety of our community. The property was initially plotted at a time when sidewalks were not required. Development activity occurring today, such as the associated minor subdivision, is required to comply with the current standards of the subdivision regulations and or the land development code. Should any of the surrounding properties develop in a way that requires further plotting action, those developments will trigger the same sidewalk requirement, and this development activity is what enables the gaps in sidewalks to be filled in over time, thus fulfilling the sidewalk requirements for both sides of the street. Finally, staff determined that the third criteria did not apply and that granting the requested variance could impact the public health, safety, and welfare. The intent of the sidewalk requirement is to provide public connectivity and amenities equally to all development areas. As is, there are currently no sidewalks on either side of this block along North 8th Street. And while the required 151 feet of sidewalk will not immediately connect to the existing sidewalk infrastructure in the area, Again, individual development actions such as this proposed or such as the uh, proposed associated minor subdivision are what continually grow the city's sidewalk network to enhance and provide safe multimodal transportation options. Granting the requested variance for the associated minor subdivision would essentially create a permanent gap in the city's sidewalk, ne- sidewalk network by exempting the property from ever having to install sidewalks. Based on the findings presented this evening and in the staff report, uh, staff recommends denial of the variance requested uh, from the requirement to provide sidewalk for the minor subdivision MS-21-00144 for Billy Edition, located at 109 North 8th Street. And unfortunately, we do not have the applicant with us this evening, uh, but I would be happy to answer any questions should you have them. And with that, I will pass it back to the commission. Thank you. Thank you, Avery. Uh, David Carter, Chair. Um, so with the, uh, the applicant not present, uh, uh, that uh, leads it up to uh, any members of the public. I don't know that we have any members of the public left on the meeting. Um, so I will ask Kyle if, there are any, if there's anyone in the commission chamber who might be interested in speaking on this. Kyle Kobe with planning. There's nobody in the room to speak on this item. And uh, just to confirm, I'm not seeing any Zoom hands going up either. Very good. Thank you, Kyle. David Carter, Chair. With that, I'll turn it over to the Commission uh, for questions to Avery or other staff. I have lots of questions. <laughs> uh, and I, and they're questions that come to mind as someone who uh, voted to deny a 
uh, to recommend denial of, uh, of a variance just a few weeks ago. Um, so I'm looking at the map on, um, let's see if I get this right, um, page, um, I'm not sure what page, page, it's page 87 of our packet. And it shows, uh, it's got two maps, there's safe routes to school, and then there's also the priority, um, the pedestrian priority network, and then missing sidewalks along those networks. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you, you mentioned, Avery, there's, there are very few sidewalks in the area. Um, and can you tell me if there are any sidewalks at all within two or three blocks of, of this property? Yes, this is Avery Kerner uh, with the planning division. So they're um, just a couple blocks north, as mentioned in the presentation, there is sidewalk that is en route to uh, John Taylor Park and Woodlawn Elementary School. And that section of sidewalk is identified um, in Transportation 2040 as a pedestrian priority network or as part of the pedestrian priority network that um, section of sidewalk is also identified as a safe routes to school route. Um, in addition to that sidewalk, there is sidewalk located, oh, I need to turn on my street labels. Um, so along Oak Street, there is a small section of unconnected sidewalk for four houses uh, along Oak Street. And then again, to the north, um, there's some, some additional sidewalk infrastructure that uh, leads to the intersection of North 8th Street and Walnut Street to connect to that uh, priority pedestrian network section of sidewalk. Thank you, Avery. Um, and so, but anywhere, on the same, but uh, David Carter chair, uh, anywhere on the same block, there's no sidewalk. Anywhere on the next block, there's no sidewalk. The closest I see are the ones you've mentioned, which are at least a block or more away. And the, and the property itself is not on either self, safe routes to school uh, or, uh, or the pedestrian priority network, is that correct? This is Avery Kerner with the planning division. That is correct. This uh, section, the 151 foot section of required sidewalk would not have either designation. Okay, thank you, David Carter Chair. Um, I do have uh, other other questions, but I'll, I'll open it up to other commissioners who might have some. Uh, Commissioner Sinclair. Avery, do you know when the section of sidewalk between Elm and Walnut, sort of on the west side of 8th Street, was put in? Um, let me pull it up. I do not know when that section of sidewalk was pulled up. I can look at aerials and give a rough uh, idea of when that was installed. I know for this section of sidewalk on Oak Street, when I pulled up aerials, that sidewalk was installed um, sometime between the year 2000 and 2003. Um, but I would have to look through aerials here real quick to see um, if I could figure out when that, that sidewalk along West Walnut was constructed. I guess Luke Sinclair, Planning Commissioner, as a follow-up, is there, are there ways to know the circumstances under which those types of sidewalks were put into place? Um, you know, I'm thinking about the, 
I keep looking at the Eighth Street one just because it. Um, well, I was going to say it terminates at Walnut, but I guess then it, it goes across the cross Eighth and then west on or sorry east on Walnut. Um, I mean, are those pu were those put in under similar circumstances that uh, properties were you know subdivided or something like that, and had to install sidewalks, or would those have been installed in, under some other in some other context? So again, I did. This is Avery Kerner with the Planning Division. I um, again, I did not look up uh, the history on the sidewalk develop installed along Walnut Street. Um, for the sidewalk on Oak Street, I tried to look it up. I did not find that it was installed in association with a minor subdivision. Um, the, that property is still platted as part of the, the original Simpson subdivision. Uh, I also did not find any record of building permits, um, though I suspect that the sidewalk was likely installed as a requirement um, or in association with the building permit. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Sinclair, to your question on Oak Street, uh, the, the sidewalk there would have been constructed in relation to the development of the houses as part of its item there. And uh, if I may ask, a, uh, just to confirm I have the, the right spec here, um, your, your other segment was uh, the north side of Walnut between 8th and what is Caw Court, is that correct? Thanks, Sinclair. Sinclair, Planning Commissioner. Yeah, that stretch and then the one on 8th Street between Walnut and Elm. Okay. I guess that's sort of like, you know, about half of a square worth is what I have was curious about. Sure. So the, the segment, excuse me, Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services, the segment between North 8th Street and what is Caw Court um, used to be related to a, a trailer park development that was there, and it was a sidewalk that connected it going into that intersection. So it had been there for quite a long time. I'm not sure I could say it's related to a specific development pattern or if it was just uh, an amenity that was added as part of that one. Uh, the segment between Walnut Street and Elm Street um, is, a, is a long existing sidewalk that has been, been present in North Lawrence. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. Commissioner Sinclair, do you have any uh, follow-up questions? Luke Sinclair, Planning Commissioner. I don't, just trying to get a sure. lay of the land, so to speak, okay. on some of these uh, sidewalks that are further away. Certainly. Uh, Commissioner Payton, it looks like you've got uh, a question. Uh, I think so, maybe at this point. Um, it's really just a comment, and it may be the only thing I, I really share. It's... Um, because I feel like these variance requests come up a lot and maybe not in this particular case, but so often the gaps we have are because of inconsistent sidewalk policy in Lawrence, you know, some for a while we had had them on both sides, then one side, then for, for a time in the, I think it was the fifties, we had it on either side, um, wasn't required in some subdivisions at all. And, and that's, I feel like, a lot of how we've gotten into this. When I was on the Pedestrian Bicycle Issues Task Force, sidewalks were one of the big topics. And I still think it's interesting. I mean, when the Transportation Commission was formed, one of the things that really people were trying to get a, a grasp on was this particular issue, because Lawrence had so many gaps and so many gaps along, along networks that we really needed sidewalks. 
And some of those gaps were because of situations like this, where people felt bad because there were no sidewalks. And, and so a variance was granted. But I, I feel like in a lot of our, our issues and our sidewalk gaps and, you know, people needing a place to walk, maybe not in the road, this is the only way we can get it done. Um, that's hard when I think it, it does sometimes, it is a bit daunting and I know it is very expensive for a homeowner to put it in, which is another topic that we tried to conquer in the pedestrian bicycle issues task force. And I don't think it ever was or still is resolved um, as far as like who the best person or whether the city or property owner, exactly how that should play out without going into detail on, on everything that was considered um, to, to fix some of these gaps or to address some of the economic concerns for people who couldn't afford to install sidewalks. But I just see from all those conversations that I think for this, ideally, we would just be consistent. And consistency means if a sidewalk is required there, we have them put a sidewalk there. I think that's, that's it for Thank now. Thank you, Commissioner Payton. David Carter, Chair. Other, other commissioners? Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I've heard some of my words come back to haunt me tonight. Um, <clears throat> the problem with the variance is that you never have to build a sidewalk. And this spot, which leads right up to the access roads in the riverfront park up there, it should have a sidewalk someday. But this is going to be a, we're going to force a landowner to build an, a long isolated section of sidewalk that nobody's going to walk everybody's going to walk in the street just like they have for years and years and years you know i live on a street one in front of my house we have sidewalks on both sides of the street the other side we have no sidewalks and we have ditches and a small old road and you know people want to keep it that way but we need to want to figure out a way that we can share the road with cars and pedestrians at the same time. And North Lawrence is a lot like that. Big sections in North Lawrence are still ditch and they like it like that. And people walk in the streets, even where there are sidewalks up on Oak street. Now I've walked up through there. People walk in the street. They don't go up onto the little length of sidewalk and then come back out into the street. So, you know, what we're doing is because sidewalks are considered part of our public transportation network. However, the entire burden is on the individual property owner to, owner to build and maintain them. We have, a, we have a problem that's not been resolved and it's been going on for a long time and it's been part of the city commission races and it will be again, I'm sure, because there's a perceived unfairness in this. This person's going to have to build a sidewalk, but nobody around them is going to have to build a sidewalk. They're going to have to go out and shovel snow on a sidewalk nobody uses, so they're going to get a citation. I mean, these things are crazy. However, I can't vote for a variance that says you never have to build a sidewalk. And I, I just wish there was a way that we could say, look, you have to build a sidewalk, but it doesn't make sense to build a sidewalk right now. So... But that's not our option, unfortunately. 
So as Commissioner Payton said, we're we're stuck with being consistent. So you have to build a sidewalk that's basically going to be useless to anybody. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. David Carter, Chair. I have a question, um, Avery, about since Commissioner Carpenter um, brought up the uh, drainage system um, in his neighborhood, can can you tell me what the what the uh, uh, the gutters are like um, in in this uh, in this area? Do you happen to know? Uh, this is Avery Kerner with the Planning Division. Um, for this particular location, um, I did drive by the site. I don't believe that there are existing gutters at this location um, or for a majority of the streets in this area. Uh, that being said, this specific location, um, well, a lot of the streets, uh, as Jim Carpenter mentioned, have ditches. This section uh, or this property does not. It is relatively flat and there, um, there, there's not a ditch at this location. Thank you, Avery. David Carter, Chair, and I, I just uh, betrayed myself as not having visited this site, but I, oh. I, do, I, do, have a, um, I do have a, an image here of the street level, and I'm yeah, confirming that uh, there, there are no conventional concrete um, gutters here. And, and uh, Commissioner Carpenter reminds me of uh, growing up in the 2200 block of Barker Avenue, where uh, as when I was a kid, we had no, no, uh, no gutters and no sidewalks. And I, I, and I mean, I'm, I'm wondering about our discretion here. Commissioner Carpenter, you've brought up a, a you know, a, a good point about, you know, what, what the measure before us allows us to do. From a common sense standpoint, I'm, I completely support the variance because this is a stretch of sidewalk that goes from nowhere to nowhere along an, uh, um, an area of street that someday probably will get concrete gutters. And when it does, we'll get sidewalks. Uh, I saw that expression. <laughs> I can't reach body language, but I can read faces. And it, maybe that won't happen. But I mean, I, I anticipate that um, it, it seems to me that sidewalks in, the, in North Lawrence, in this area, ought to be part of either major subdivisions or as part of a capital improvement plan. And uh, and Commissioner Payton, I'm sure you want to say something in response to my observation. So please go ahead. I, I would just I would just say that if it does get curb and gutter, I I I don't feel like consistently in Lawrence they've also put in sidewalks, and, and that would be the concern. And, and so I I guess I feel like. Uh, if we were able to make some request that I, I guess I understand part of part of my my hang up now that I'm thinking about it more is is I don't think we should grant a variance request, but it's possible no other sidewalk will go in for 20 years or maybe 30 years. I don't I don't know. And then the issue with that is that sidewalk may very well be in poor shape by then or whatever. So it's kind of frustrating, but but I just really wanted to say that I have not found that when, at least historically, the things that we looked at on on um, pedestrian coalition, I I don't think there's a precedent for um, when curb and gutters go in, sidewalks go in, also. So. 
there should be maybe yeah thank you commissioner payton david carter chair that surprises me because i would expect that they would go together uh, when you're making those sort of massive changes to the infrastructure that when you're installing one it seems obvious you would install the other but i think we're getting to a point that i'm i'm speculating um commissioner sands uh you, you'd like to say something uh, the one question for staff and then a comment afterwards is curbing and guttering is part of stormwater um uh, mitigation so if there's no um if there's no subterranean stormwater movement would would necessarily curbing and guttering go into a neighborhood that didn't already have stormwater mitigation jeff craig playing into services director it's a little situational dependent because typically the curb and gutter doesn't always put water into storm sewers it may try to move it towards regional detention areas or other items um, so it may it may not but i could also see a situation where it, the curb and gutter just moves the water to a a regional detention availability knowing the levee and the configuration of the stormwater in north lawrence and very likely as it would try to move it to one of the lift stations to push it out beyond the levee would be my my hunch at the moment okay i mean that that's a, it's a bit wonky but i mean if we're gonna just to uh i'm i'm not sure i share the the uh analysis uh the speculation that uh, eventually curbing and guttering may go in. I think it, it'd have to be part of a larger stormwater plan. Um, I, the comment I want to make is uh, I, I think that when, when we're talking about 200 feet of sidewalk that doesn't connect to anything else um, and a yard of concrete's costing about oh, 120 bucks just for the and that's if you're lucky that's 120 bucks just for the materials that doesn't include any of the labor um it, it it seems like an unnecessary burden and i understand as as i did understand in april when we were talking about a similar variance um but i think there could be an unintended consequence here um in that when we were talking about the sidewalk improvement plan uh, a couple years back, I had neighbors in my neighborhood make the observation of at what point when the city really fully enacts this uh, program, does it become a detriment to a homeowner that has uh, the responsibility to repair their sidewalk if on the other side of the street, that neighbor doesn't have any sidewalk to maintain? Does that affect, could that affect uh, sales prices, property values? comps etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't know i don't i don't myself personally prefer to speculate on on what might happen to property values in the future because it's but that neighbor he made a good point um i i uh i would support a variance on this just like i supported a variance uh in the april um discussion uh, simply because I think if if word gets out that we are expecting property owners to uh, pave pathways that don't connect with anything else, um, there may be an unintended consequence of of people stop trying to improve uh, the, the the property that they own, stop trying to subdivide, stop trying to in improve density or increase density. Um, stop trying to 
um, expand their business or, or whatever. So that, that concludes my comments. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Sands, David Carter, Chair. Other commissioners, Commissioner Sinclair. Luke Sinclair, Planning Commissioner. I guess I'd push back a little bit on what Commissioner Sands said, because I think to the extent word gets out that we're denying variances and making people build sidewalks in sort of isolated areas, so to speak, hopefully consideration would be given um, to why that is. And I, I brought this up with the last one uh, that we did, and that's that these variances, the, the, the review criteria were given, are pretty strict. I mean, you know, there's, it, on a lot of these, it seems like there's wiggle room on the second and third criteria, but the first one is a really high burden that someone has to, has to uh, uh, reach or uh, carry. And, um, and, you know, the fact that basically a financial hardship is, you know, totally not worth considering in terms of uh, unnecessary hardship really puts a lot of these out of reach because a lot of times that's what people are relying on. This is an unnecessary, this is a, an undue financial burden um, and that's why it's an unnecessary hardship, but that's not, that's not something we can uh, rely on. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're left with, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we're left with, um, you know, whether uh, um, the condition resulting from the application of the guidelines or regulations, excuse me, when viewing the property in its environment um, is so unreasonable as to become an arbitrary and capricious interference with the basic right of property ownership private property ownership, um, you know, and it lists a couple other ones. Um, but that one, you know, there are good reasons for the, for the sidewalk requirements. Um, and it's hard, I think, to carry that one. I mean, in this particular instance, uh, sure, it's 151 feet with no connection north or south. Um, but as uh, Commissioner Carpenter pointed out, you know, this is very close to uh, the river trails there. And it makes sense to have a sidewalk going down there. Uh, it makes sense to have sidewalks connecting that sort of Southern part of North Lawrence up to uh, um, the eighth street sidewalk for kids that live down that area to walk over to Woodlawn or to um, uh, the park. And so I, I struggle with these because I, it's, it's really hard for me to find um, an applicant that satisfies the unnecessary hardship criteria. I think we're like, it's just really tough. And if anything is gonna um, happen on this particular issue, I think it's gonna be have to, it's gonna have to come from some sort of a text amendment to this definition. Can there be some more wiggle room or flexibility given to applicants to deal with these sorts of issues so that planning commission um, can entertain those uh, arguments a little more um, uh, you know, give, I guess give, give those arguments a little more weight where we can. Um, but on this one, I'm, I'm torn to, I, I think it, it seems uh, like it, it, they shouldn't be made to, but I, I don't think you satisfy the criteria and I don't like the idea of them never having to put um, a sidewalk in there if we were to, uh, if we were to grant it. Thank you, Commissioner Sinclair, David Carter, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I guess it, I'd like to respond to Commissioner Sinclair, um, both the point that we need some sort of tax amendment to address this. 
Um, but also to the point that he says that unnecessary hardship is inarguable. Um, here we've had several comments from other commissioners already saying um, nobody's going to walk on it. Um, it's, it's likely that by the time there's a connecting sidewalk, this one may be in disrepair, um, and there will be the necessity of, of maintaining a sidewalk that nobody walks on. That all sounds unnecessary to me. Um, and I, at, at the same time, I distinguish this from the case uh, in April where um, we had a, a thousand forty-five foot ribbon of concrete that was duplicative um, because there was one on the opposite side of the street that, that provided the same amount of, of uh, you know, local transportation. And so um, I, I struggle with this one, and, and I do think that um, these come up again and again. We need to have a method of dealing with them that uh, allows for a continuing obligation to provide it if, as, and when it's necessary. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. David Carter, Chair. Oh, forgive me. Did, did I interrupt you? Okay. Um, other commissioners uh, have observations, questions for staff. Commissioner uh, Struckoff. Eric Struckoff, Planning Commissioner. Um, I I feel um, that this this one is is a little more um, um, cut and dried than the long one that we had in uh, in April. In general, um, I'm opposed to the variance in this case um, uh, for the same reasons. Commissioner Carpenter stated, um, recognizing still that it, it will not connect now, but I think it's important that we think about the future and whether by individual developments or by city program, these sidewalks are eventually built. Um, we want them all to be filled in. The question I have is, what about those homeowners who have built sidewalks already? Suppose the city did have a sidewalk development program and built another sidewalk next to this one. What would the would the, the homeowner who built his sidewalk already have a credit? Or because we do ask we do ask applicants to agree not to contest the future formation of a benefit district. Um, would we have something like that? Could we have something like that in reverse? Um, that's just that's just a topic for discussion when we think about the idea of a text amendment or or some other ordinance um, discussion down the road. Um, in this case, um, I'm not inclined to uh, grant the variance. Thank you, Commissioner Struckoff, uh, David Carter, Chair, Commissioner Payton. You wanted to say something. Um. I didn't think I was on the fence on this, and I still don't think I am. But um, I think that what's di so difficult about these requests uh, is I, I always feel like our, I wish our sidewalk policy that we chose to go with was a little different, at least in how we deal with things like this, like gaps and neighborhoods with no sidewalks whatsoever, um, which really is, is not as clear as it should be. Um, so I think maybe, maybe my two cents isn't needed here, but uh, I think of myself, I have 200 feet of frontage and 
sidewalks on one side of the street in my neighborhood. And if someone said, well, we're going to have them on both sides now and you have to put a sidewalk on 200 feet, it would hurt um, <laughs> a lot. And, and for some people, it's not feasible at all. Um, and so I, I do run into that. But I also know that I don't have a sidewalk, will probably never need to get one, and I don't pay for them. And I wouldn't mind paying for them because I like having them. And that's the thing that I always come to in these situations is I feel like we should have a policy. We should have something that enables or where everyone in the community somehow contributes to that infrastructure and we don't. And so I don't know if that's really useful to this conversation, but it is one of the issues that I think of when you have somebody that has 151 feet of frontage that they're supposed to cover. Thank you, Commissioner Payton. David Carter, Chair. Other commissioners? Yeah, I, I've, I, I've stated my, my point of view. I, from a, in principle, I'm fully in support of the policy of expanding the sidewalk network. From a practical standpoint, this strikes me as borderline useless, unless, I mean, it, it and yet I feel obligated to support it because of the criteria. And so I, I would, I, and I know sidewalks are a, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a perennial issue in Lawrence. Um, I would, I wonder if there's a way we can pro provoke a request uh, 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 to amend the code. Um, for various concerns, for various reasons. In this particular case, North Lawrence, as Commissioner Carpenter mentioned, is an entire district that has kind of a different pedestrian culture, in part because of its, its distinct morphology of streets. Um, and and the, 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 the current regulations overlook that. Um, I, I'm inclined to oppose this. I think it's different from the April case where we, we were talking about it, a, an area that was changing. It was, you know, lots were being subdivided, new construction was taking place. And so there was more of a prospect to build out the sidewalk network. Um, and I, and, and I'll not to re revisit that too much, but that was along a busy street where crossing the street in order to access the sidewalk was potentially dangerous because of broad streets with likely high vehicle speeds. I don't think that's necessarily what we see here. Um, and so I, I do see it as a distinct case. Although I feel inclined, although I feel obligated to support uh, or to oppose the, uh, the variance, I'm inclined to support it. Um, so, um, I, uh, I, I'd, I'd invite comments from other, uh, from other, uh, commissioners. I feel like we, uh, we probably all have somewhat mixed feelings about this, but, um, I, from what I can understand, from what I can see, there's, there tends to be more of a consensus to, um, to, uh, deny the variance request than, than to support it. Um, but I'd, I'd be interested in hearing other commissioners' um, perspectives or perhaps a motion at this point. 
this is not much this is not must see tv for sure i mean i think those are the two cases where we the two the two scenarios where we stand right now either somebody has something to say <laughs> uh to add to the conversation or somebody I, I would think might want to uh, make a motion. Commissioner Sands. I would make a motion um, to approve the variance, but I guess just to move, move everything along, I'd be willing to do that. Uh, David Carter Chair, I think that's a legitimate point because where we stand right now it's going to be one way or the other and we saw this on monday um depending on the vote we'll if if it if it fails then we'll have to go the other direction so uh, i would approve i mean i think that makes sense and i would uh, I'd, I'd like to know if anybody has a second rob saying oh do you want me to make the motion uh, if if you uh, forgive me you haven't made the motion uh yeah please it's getting late apologize please yeah commissioner sands if you're inclined I, i'd invite a motion yeah, Rob Sands, Planning Commissioner. I move to approve a variance to provide sidewalk on both sides of North 8th Street adjacent to the property as required for local streets per section 20-811C1I of the subdivision regulations as part of the lot split located on the west side of North 8th Street. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Sands. Jeff Craig, Planning Officer, is there a point of order to Commissioner Sands on that yeah, one? The question was to discharge the sidewalk on both sides of the street. Are you? Are you? Were you did you mean to just be on this property? I'm just. Yes, but it, I'm sorry, I read the wrong one. Oh, okay. Both sides. Sorry, just, we will make sure. Okay, so it was to, to discharge yeah. on on the property in question. Yes, sorry. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Sands. David Carter, Chair, do I have a second? In that case, I will offer a second to that motion. Um, do we have further discussion before we call the roll? All right, Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? No. Commissioner Butler? No. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Commissioner Sands? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? No. Commissioner Sinclair? No. Commissioner Struckoff? No. Uh, motion fails seven to two. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. Could I ask someone to, uh, if, if they're so inclined, to uh, make a motion to uh, deny? Unless there's further, unless there's more deliberation, Commissioner Butler, was that was that you raising your hand, or I can? Oh, that would be lovely. <laughs> I move that we deny the variance requested for the minor subdivision MS-21-00144 from providing sidewalks as required per section 20-811C1I for a local street in accordance with the provisions per section 20-813G of the Land Development Code for property located at 109 North 8th Street. Thank you, Commissioner Butler. David Carter, Chair, do I have a second? Commissioner Carpenter, thank you. Any further discussion? Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Certainly. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. 
Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? No. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Sands? No. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Struckoff? Yes. Motion passes seven to two. Thank you, Jeff. Um, David Carter Chair, that brings us to the second and final item on our miscellaneous agenda. Uh, consider a variance of the land development code associated with minor uh, with a minor subdivision, uh, Shenouda edition at 1900 Tennessee Street. Um, and uh, and uh, Luke will enlighten us to the full details of that. Good evening again, Commissioners. Luke Mortensen, Planner with the Planning and Development Services Department. I know we are getting on here in the evening, so I will do my best to move us through this item. Uh, hopefully, it will be a little bit uh, less, less discussion. Uh, item number two is a request to consider a variance from the required right-of-way width standards for a minor arterial street as expressed by Section 20-810 of the City's Land Development Code. As Chair Carter noted, this is associated with an in-process minor subdivision Shenouda addition for 1900 Tennessee Street. Minor subdivisions are generally reviewed and approved administratively. As you're all aware by now, Planning Commission approval is required for variances from the subdivision design standards of which right-of-way width is one. The applicant has submitted a minor subdivision to create two platted lots from its existing condition. Um, it's a parcel made up of a portion of a platted lot. The applicant seeks to maintain the existing 66 foot wide West 19th Street right of way that's on the north side of this subject property and seeks a variance from the requirement to dedicate one half of the required additional right of way, which would be 17 feet in this instance. Both staff and the applicant's analysis is included in memo, in memo form uh, within tonight's agenda packet. I'll note that the required right-of-way width is a result of the adoption of the current land development code in 2006 and is generally intended for newly developed rights-of-way. The Planning Commission has recently approved um, in 2020 a variance for the 19th Street minor arterial right-of-way width at 701 East 19th Street. That's just east of the Burroughs Creek Trail. Uh, and finally, the city engineer has recommended approval of this variance. Following tonight's outcome, the applicant will continue to work with staff on this minor subdivision. Um, there will be um, building permits, um, but there will likely not be a site plan based off of uh, the zoning and the uses that they've indicated they're interested in pursuing. To conclude, staff recommends the Planning Commission approve the variance requested to reduce the right-of-way width as required by section 20-810 for a minor arterial street from 100 feet to 66 feet in accordance with the provisions of section 20-813 of the Land Development Code for the property address is 1900 Tennessee Street. I don't believe the applicant is with us tonight. The applicant is Steve Williams with All Point Surveying, um, but I am pretty familiar with this, this um, specific application and, and I believe I could answer any questions. Thank you, Luke. David Carter, Chair. Um, uh, Kyle, could I ask you to just confirm that no one's in the commission chamber to uh, comment on this? Kyle Kobe with planning. I can confirm there's no one in the chamber to comment on this item and no digital hands going up either. Thank you. Um, uh, David Carter, Chair, with that, I'll turn this over to the commission for questions for Luke. Uh, 
Luke, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, Commissioner Struckoff, please. Eric Struckoff, Planning Commissioner. Um, just a question for Luke. Luke, what's the required setback on the uh, on the 19th Street side of these lots? Yep. So the properties are zoned RS5, um, and based off of the subject property's orientation, it's going to kind of run longer east-west, and the adjacent property to the east also kind of oriented longer east-west. Um, the exterior side setback along uh, West 19th Street would be 10 feet for, for a principal structure. Thank you. And uh, let me follow up, Mr. Chair. Oh, please, uh, uh, Commissioner uh, Struckoff, go ahead. Eric Struckoff, Planning Commissioner. Um, Luke, my, my second question was, well, I, I just want to make an observation that in this corridor, there are buildings very close to um, to the rights of way, and, and I believe that numerous variants has been granted in this rather narrow corridor. I believe that Tennessee Street in that location is four lanes wide, um, including the turn lane, the and two eastbound lanes, one westbound lane. Um, it's my hope that as this corridor develops, particularly east of this area, that um, special attention will be given to a complete street solution for the entire corridor between Venture Park and Naismith, such that um, the bicycle facilities in particular and sidewalks uh, all along will be maintained uh, uh, continuously um, in that corridor. That's a goal uh, of, of the future bikeways plan from days you uh, days uh, long long gone, uh, but um, that's that's hard work. Uh, not within our purview tonight, but I did want to just uh, make the observation that there are some very tight uh, rights of way here. There are many uh, close setbacks, um, and we are proposing to open the street up. We already have, in fact, with the uh, clinic out at the fairgrounds, the east end of Nineteenth Street. Um, we do need a, a complete street solution for this entire corridor, and I hope one can be developed. Uh, but I am generally in support of this of this variance request. Thank you, Commissioner Strokoff, David Carter, Chair. Uh, other questions from commissioners? Any other concerns, reservations from commissioners? Any motions from commissioners? Commissioner Struckoff. Eric Struckoff, Planning Commissioner. Uh, I'd be happy to make a motion, Mr. Chair. If you would, thank you. Um, I move that we approve the variance request for minor subdivision MS 21-00065 to reduce the right of way uh, from 100 to 66 feet uh, for property located at 1900 Tennessee Street. Thank you, Commissioner Strokoff. David Carter Chair, do I have a second? Commissioner Sands, thank you. Uh, any further discussion? Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll? Certainly. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Sands? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. 
Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Struckoff? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. That brings us to the end of our documented items. Uh, we do have one last item that I'd like to take up before we adjourn, and that is, of course, to recognize uh, the service of Commissioners uh, Struckoff and Sands. Uh, Commissioner Struckoff has served on this commission since July of what is it? It's eight years. Um, so July of 2013, Commissioner Sands since July of 2015. Um, in my three years on this commission, uh, I have learned a great deal from both of them. Uh, and, um, you know, I believe Commissioner Struckoff was just wrapping up. The, my first meeting that I attended was before I joined the commission. It was the, it was exactly three years ago tonight. I mean, this 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 meeting may of 2018 and commissioner struck up i think would have been would have been his last meeting as chair is that correct and um from that moment my experience my previous experience um as a member of the public going to planning commission meetings was always very confrontational combative i would you know see arguments break out in in uh in meetings people speaking out of turn and one of the things the very first influences i had in prospectively joining the commission was the collegiality the respect that that members showed each other and for the three years i've been on the commission so far uh commissioner struckoff has always uh exhibited um in, in incredibly thoughtful um, holistic uh, perspectives, and, and um, I found them really educational. And in cases where you know he needed to break out some uh, some uh, statistics on you know the required square footage for a particular type of retail establishment, he was ready with that as well. And that's been been great. With respect to Commissioner Sands, um, I, I, I'm just really inspired by his sense of public service and the fact, if I understand correctly, that you know he joined the, the planning commission because he was just looking for a way to get civically involved. He'd, he'd uh, taken um, um, uh, uh, master's courses, if, if I'm not mistaken, public administration, and was looking for a way, an outlet for, for the newfound education expertise that he'd gained. And the fact that he joined a, uh, a, uh, a body that, that demands so much of its members, uh, not just in terms of time but also in terms of like homework to know what you're talking about um i, I found it really inspiring like the, the 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 amount of time that uh commissioner sans has spent you know studying up on an issue that he hadn't known about before and it's just been it, it's been a great experience working with uh both of you and i just uh want to thank you both if this were a normal meeting you know i'd give you both a plaque but i'm hoping that that uh, that uh, those were already delivered to you. Um, so uh, you know, on behalf of the planning commission, I do fantastic. <laughs> on behalf of the planning commission, I just want to uh, thank both of you. And I know it's late, but I do want to give you both an opportunity if you have something to say. And of course, other commissioners, I shouldn't hog uh, hog the uh, virtual microphone. Um, so, uh, Commissioner Strockoff, anything you you'd like to say? Um. I'd like to thank each of you for your collegiality and um, and service uh, to this commission and to the city. Um, it uh, the atmosphere, um, uh, Chair Carter, that you described was um, was inculcated by the, the chairs uh, who preceded me, 
and thankfully carried on by those who followed me. Um, so I'd like to rec recognize those who influenced me. And uh, um, I'd also like to give a special recognition to, um, to uh, Commissioner Karen Willey, who is not here tonight, but who led us through our development, uh, our new development code process uh, so ably. Um, she deserved a great deal of credit for that process, uh, which I, which I am very, very proud of uh, for this whole commission. Um, of course, um, finally, I'd just like to say um, that this commission, as I mentioned before, with its uh, development of Plan 2040, has set some very high goals uh, for this city and for our elected bodies, but particularly for our planning staff who have risen to the occasion on every, on every occasion. And um, and for whom I for whom I am so thankful, um, and without whom none of us would be able to do the the work we've done as commissioners. So I do want to give a very special thank you to everybody in the planning staff who have uh, who've made this um, this all possible um, to to do the service that I've done. Um, thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Struckoff, David Carter, Chair, uh, Commissioner Sands. Anything you'd like to say? Oh, absolutely. I always like to talk. Rob Sands, Planning Commissioner. Um, first, I want to thank the staff uh, in no particular order. Kurt, Kyle, Luke, Denny, Becky, Jessica, Catherine, Sandra, Mary. Um, but it, especially uh, Jeff and uh, Scott. I know he's probably not watching. He's got his own city to worry about these days. But, but everyone on the staff uh, has been um more than accommodating and answering questions and fulfilling requests and taking the time to educate and mentor uh, doesn't matter if you're on your first year of the planning commission or your last year of the planning commission um the staff is second to none uh and and i know that because i know folks in other planning departments in other cities who envy working on this staff. So thank you all, continue your good work. Um, I'd like to obviously thank the commissioners, uh, both that are on tonight and prior commissioners who have served on the planning commission. Um, it, it really, and, and really anyone who volunteers their time and their talent uh, in a volunteer capacity. So all the other boards that we have in the city of Lawrence and Douglas County advisory or otherwise that are using their passion to advance our city toward a larger goal of being a better place for everyone to, to live. Um, I don't know if this type of civic engagement is typical in other cities in Kansas, um, but if it were, then the state of Kansas as a whole would be in much better shape. So. Um, thank you for everyone, regardless of the committee that you're on, for volunteering your time and your talent. Um, I, I, I tell people that, that my time on Planning Commission was a million-dollar education, that I got one nickel at a time. And, and by that, I mean you, you learn little lessons that eventually accumulate into something big. And there's no way that any of us could probably ever pay back uh, the city for the opportunity to serve on this um, commission. So I'll stop there. If you see me again, uh, rest assured, I will have to stop talking in three minutes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Sands, David Carter, Chair. Um, 
would anyone else care to uh, say anything uh, before we uh, bring this evening to a close? Mr. Chair, if I may, on, on behalf of staff, we would like to say thank you to the commissioners for their service and um, for all their years that they've worked with us on those. It's been a, an honor and privilege to work beside both of you during your time on the commission. So thank you for your service on the board. Thank you so much, Jeff. David Carter, Chair. Um, if there are no other comments, I would... Uh, I would accept a motion to adjourn from Commissioner Sands. Do I have a second? From Commissioner Struckoff, very appropriate. Um, Jeff, could I ask you to read the roll, please? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. <clears throat> Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Sands? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yeah. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Struckoff? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Uh, thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Chair, over. <laughs> Talk to you next month. <laughs>